Monday morning, Saturday evening, New York sports fans. My name is Danielle McCartan, and uh, I guess I'm McCartan at midnight tonight. The super utility all the way around here. We're talking all things New York sports with you right up till 3 a.m. in New York City and beyond. Whatever you're doing at the moment, appreciate you tuning into my show right now and throughout the next couple hours, whether that be on your car radio, 1019 FM, 660 old school, streaming from WFAN.com or on our free Odyssey app. And of course, we are here in the Big Apple, Nick Theodoro, Pat Boyle, and I coming to you live. From, like I said, the Boomer and Geo studio here in Lower Manhattan. Go ahead, start dialing 877-337-6666. Try to take your calls right here in the first segment, so get aboard. Uh, A quick programming note, special guest Ed Cranepool will join us at 2.20 to take us down memory lane as we discuss his new book, The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets. Um... When I tell you a trip down memory lane, I promise you that's what it will be. And anyway, uh, as we sit here in this very moment, the Yankees and the Mets are still on the outside looking in on a playoff berth. And I'm not a fool. I'm not getting sucked back in. And as we look at the wild card picture right now, this second, uh, the Yankees find themselves nine games out of the third and final wildcard spot with two teams to leapfrog over being the Red Sox and the Texas Rangers and one team to displace, whether that be the Mariners or the Blue Jays. So not looking good for the Yanks. And as we check in the scoreboard for the Mets, they are now 10 games back of the final wildcard spot with one, two, three, four, five teams to have to leapfrog and one team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, to displace. So... Yes, the standings can change in an instant, but I'm no fool. I am not getting sucked back into this. But today, uh, I wanted to kind of start with baseball and then, you know, ease into football because it is like the day or the night before Christmas. It feels like Christmas Eve. The Giants season kicks off tomorrow. Jets on Monday. And I want to do a ton of football. But, of course, we had to address Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium. Today, the 75th and also the longest, I don't know, Probably Yankees old timers game or day was today. Old uh, the longest being, of course, the two odd hours or somewhat something like that rain delay. I don't have that. Uh, you know the the exact times, but it has to be if not the longest, one of the longest old timers days in Yankees history. But um, I was actually at the vet office with the dog in the room with the vet. When the power went out, pitch black. Um, put my flashlight on. She's like, "You good?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "All right, let me go uh, figure out, you know, if we have a generator." Blah 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 blah. Anyway, it was fine. We did we did all right. We actually did the examination in the waiting room because we were able to use the light from the windows. Uh, her idea, smart idea, quick thinking. But anyway, back to the Yankees. In my opinion. They need to put the game back in old-timers day. This is not a dig at anyone who assembled or partook in the beautiful ceremony today. It really was. John Sterling, Michael Kay, Susan Waldman, the people behind the scenes, all did a fantastic job. You know, I was also in awe of 
Susan, who, who is conducting those interviews right there on the field like that. And why? Because I was thinking back when I was doing uh, some sideline reporting for Princeton women's basketball before I even started here. Um, I, I had to do the post-game interviews right there on the court in Jadwin Gymnasium. And it's just, it, you don't ever realize it until you do it, right? The echo of your own voice, you know, and then the the delay of it, right? The, the reverberation of it against the walls in a gym that's not full of people, right? It's post game, and, and and you're as you're asking the next question, you're or you're listening for the response. The producer speaking to you in your earpiece, having a whole conversation. It's just, it's just a lot. So when I watch Susan Waldman conducting, you know, all of that times worth of interviews in that style, knowing how hard it is to, I can't even imagine doing it, you know, in a, in a stadium. I mean, that was pretty cool to watch and pretty cool to, you know, appreciate. But I also noted as I'm sitting and watching it before we went to the vet, how empty the stands were as the ceremony, even Susan's interview, which was at the end of the ceremony, took place. The stands were empty, man. For my, my, my cousin, my cousin and his mom, my aunt, they never miss an old timer's day. This year, they didn't go. And, I mean, I'm 35 years old. These are my Yankees. This was celebrating a dynasty team. This was celebrating quite possibly the best team to ever play a single major league season. It was Derek Jeter, my shortstops, first old-timers day. And there were way too many empty blue seats and way too many empty you know, metal bleacher seats. And even during the broadcast, later in the broadcast, after we got home from the vet, they were flashing back to coming in from commercials, out, from, out going out to commercials, old-timers, they game highlights from years past. Like, they need to actually bring back the actual game. With that said, there is a lot that these 2023 Yankees can learn from these 1998 Yankees. A, you know, that 98 team might have been the best team ever assembled. Let me set the scene here first. Listen, the 1906 Cubs won 116 games. In 1906, hardly modern baseball. In those times, there were cars driving through the outfield during the games, okay? And I understand that the 2001 Mariners also won 116 games. But you you could point to them as being better than those 98 Yankees. Sure you can. But I'd say that that season of the Mariners ended in a huge disappointment. Those 2001 Mariners beat the then Cleveland Indians in the ALDS, but ran into, guess who? Oh, the New York Yankees in the ALCS. And that was all she wrote for those Mariners. The Yankees beat them handily, four games to one. So with that, those 2001 Mariners are historically the first and only team to win over 110 games and not make the World Series. Give me the 98 Yankees any day. AL batting king Bernie Williams. Most runs scored in the league, all-star Derek Jeter. Perfect game-throwing David Wells on my birthday, May 17th, 1998. I was in fifth grade. I turned 10. Tie 
tied for the first in the majors in wins in David Cole. And a 1.88 ERA by the best closer in the history of the game, Mariano Rivera. Those Yankees were so good, they swept the Padres in the World Series. Four games, call up Tiffany's, go fit them for the rings. So what could these Yankees learn from those guys? It's very simple. How to hate losing more than liking to win. And I asked Garrett Cole two weeks ago who that guy was in the Yankees clubhouse this season. And in a very humble and very articulate way, he said it was him. And if you wanted to hear that interview, it's only a couple minutes long inside the clubhouse. Honestly, I, it, Garrett Cole is fantastic. If you wanted to do it, wait for the commercial, but Google McCartan Cole WFAN On Demand. It should come right up. It was like two weeks ago. But it can't just be one guy, one pitcher. The 98 Yankees had a team full of them in their everyday players. I mean, today, David Wells was thinking along the same lines as me. He told reporters today a story about how he gave up a bunch of runs. And in his words, this is a quote. I I went back. I got the quote. He said, this is David Wells, Posada was pissed. He slammed me against the pillar and got in my face. But I respected it. To me, that's what you don't see anymore. You don't see guys getting in each other's face. And it's not a personal thing. You're here to win. Just seeing it from my perspective, they don't have that kind of camaraderie. That, David Wells, today. He thinks it's because today's athletes, and in particular the Yankees that he watches, he said his words, they coddle them too much. They baby him. Maybe he's got a point. The 98 Yankees led the league in runs scored. This year's Yankees are, right now, 23rd. The 98 Yankees had not a single player hit more than 28 home runs. What does that tell me? That tells me they knew how to hit situationally and just to just simply put the ball in play and put the pressure on the defense. I mean, you saw it as a microcosm today, what the Brewers were doing to the Yankees. They were death by a thousand cuts. It's a Taylor Swift song. Death by a thousand cuts. Um, but and that's that's how they had the beginning in the what was it the seventh or the eighth? Tino Martinez talked to Meredith Morakovitz on the field today about the importance of this is his words moving guys over and doing the little things with runners in scoring position this season so far. The Yankees hit just 245, good for 21st in the league of 30 teams. And in case you're wondering, because I looked it up, the 98 Yankees with runners in scoring position hit 300 that year, tied for second in the league. What a stark difference. And O'Neill, Paul O'Neill told a story today about how Joe Torre gathered a team told them to, in a very short paraphrase, uh, it was after game like 114 or so. Basically, Tori said, have fun under all this pressure. Just go out there and have fun because of the greatness expected in you this season. Don't let the pressure get to you. Have fun. O'Neal said he went up to him after the speech and said, hey, uh, Skip, it's not fun unless you win. Scott Brocious said today, every conversation from day one was about winning. Now, me personally, I have a full-time job on the side of this. 
And I am unable to be in Tampa from day one because of it. So I can't speak to that about this 2023 bunch, but it's a good message nonetheless. And not lost on me was the classy move by David Cohn. He got on the mic. He acknowledged not just the Yankees players watching the ceremony from the dugout, which they never showed who it was, who was on the dugout at the top step watching. But he also acknowledged the Brewers players and theirs. And also the camera did not show the Brewers dugout. But looks like the Brewers got more out of the ceremony today, I guess. I mean, man, some pretty uninspired baseball from the Bombers today, especially from the seventh inning on. So I'll bang the drum again. I hope some conversations happen today between the Yankees brass and those 98 Yankees about advisorships. Pettit was back this season. They need more moving forward just to teach these Yankees their winning ways, as we just outlined. And one more thing, breaking at 9.07 p.m. just, I don't know, a few hours ago, Luis Severino to miss the rest of the season with what they're calling a high-grade left oblique strain. And if you watched any of the, the video coming out of the clubhouse last night, man, I mean, Meredith Mrakovic's fantastic job navigating that interview uh, with Luis Severino. Um, he was near tears. He told her it feels like he got he just got shot. It was If you haven't seen it, go ahead and watch it on the commercial, of course. Um, but uh, he's going to miss the rest of the season. And uh, I fully expect the team to buy out him his contract for $2.75 million. Uh, Severino has thrown, in my estimation, his last pitch as a New York Yankee. And what a disappointment he was. All right, 877-337-6666. Talk to baseball, kind of slowly transition into football. It is officially week one. It is the 10th of September, week one for the Giants. Giants-Cowboys Sunday Night Football. Jets-Bills Monday Night Football. My name is Daniel McCartan. With you till three right here on WFAM. One day until the Jets kick off the season. There's nothing like New York, so I understand that. I appreciate that. Talk New York Jets football on the fan. This is an incredible sports town. There's a lot of a lot of great franchises here. 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Welcome back to the fan. My name is Danielle McCartan. That is Nick Theodoro behind the glass taking your calls, 877-337-6666. Nick, it's been a while. It's been a while since Nick and I have been paired together. It really has. I really can't remember the last time we worked together. I can't either. It's always good. Always good to see you there, Nick. Uh, 877-337-6666 is the number. We go in the order that you call. That's how we do it here. Let's go out to Mike in Westchester. You are the leadoff caller of the night. Oh, I'm so honored to be leadoff. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? First and foremost, I think you do a great job. I look forward to hearing you every weekend. I Thank think you. your sports knowledge is uh, is really awesome, Thank and uh, your passion is great. And I love everything you said in your opening monologue about uh, this team getting something from the 98 Yankees, a team we both grew up on. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to see the state of the Yankees right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's like, how about uninspired? I mean, if any of those 98 Yankees stuck around to watch the seventh inning and, and beyond today, they, they might have had a heart attack. 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of them, um, and they just they they have the same feelings. They just they don't get it. Like these these guys don't want it. You know, they just they're built differently, and it's uh, it's sad. And it's uh, you know we're we're not old. Me and you aren't old. It's just they they just seem to not care that much. Maybe the money's gotten to them. I'm not sure, but. Uh, I also wanted to see what kind of picks you like for football this weekend. Ooh, you want me to give the goods away right at the beginning of the show? Yeah, I'm going to sleep soon. <laughs> oh man, come on. Um, all right, let's see. Um, hmm. All right, because you asked, I'm going Jets. I'm picking the Jets. Yes. Uh, straight up, you know, no spreads or anything. I'm picking the Jets, and I'm picking the the Giants. I mean, no, I'm sorry, I'm picking the Cowboys. Sorry, 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 sorry. Jets, Cowboys. All right, I like the Giants actually, but that's okay. Well, you have to hear the explanation as to why. You might have to stay up a little later tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I like well, the Jets. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, I like the Jets and I like the Cowboys. Don't kill me, Giants fans. I'll explain. I, I I promise to you, I will explain. I just don't like a lot of the matchups. Get into that in a second. We'll go out to uh, the Bronx. Josh, what's going on? I'm calling you, Daniel. Well, I talked football with you last week. This week, it's it's the baseball. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that the old timers they didn't play a baseball game. Right? Is this is this the new baseball now? Uh, we have a question and answer now yeah. instead of playing an actual old timers game. This is unreal. This is you know news to me. Yeah, and, it's not good. And, and the one thing about Louis Severino, I couldn't agree with you more. He has just been damaged goods the past few years, you know, and it, it just, you know, it's just all the breakdowns he's had, giving up all those homers and everything. Mm-hmm. It, it was affecting his command and everything. And, you know, that the fastball, you know, the location of his pitches, the hitters were just, you know, they were picking it up on him. And Domingo Herman. You know, that's another one yep. they're going to have to write off. With the trouble he's had and everything, despite his perfect game and everything. Correct. I'll let you take it from there, Danielle. I, I just can't wait to hear from, if these people call, Lou from Astoria, Dennis from Yonkers, and Rick from Tampa. I'd love to hear from them, too. And the other callers. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Josh. Okay. Hey, you three, you're on the clock. Luis Severino, if in fact that is the last pitch he ever throws as a Yankee, which I believe it is, and if I, I believe it will be, he finished with a negative 1.5 war as a Yankee uh, this season. But uh, let's say career. Let's look at his career. 11.8 war, a, an ERA of 3.79. That's really all I really need to know there, really. Win-loss record, 54-37. and 37. That's it. Buy him out. $2.75 million. Clean your hands. Be done. That's it. We go to Scott in Dix Hills, New York. What's going on, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I just heard you talking about what appears to be a lack of hunger uh, within the New York Yankees uh, players, for sure. I don't know about the organization. Um, It seems to me to be something that you see in other sports, too. You certainly see it in basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, a a close game will end, and all of a sudden you're seeing opponents hugging each other like, hey, bro, nice game. Mm -hmm. You know, trading jerseys. 
You know, and it, it, it seems like it's become more of a millionaire's club than it is about beating your opponent. I mean, and, yeah. And it, it's very it's very upsetting to see that you're, you're, as a fan, maybe these guys don't care that much about winning and about about moving on and 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 showing superiority as as opposed to just kind of being part of that millionaires club. Yeah, I mean, Scott, point well taken and and I'm wondering well then then how do you kick their butts in gear because you know, it's it's is it's is it a, is it a, across all the whole league? I mean, there's there's teams in first place. I mean, do the Braves want it more than the Yankees? Are they just more talented? Than the, I haven't been able to put my you know finger on it, pinpoint it. But it has to be addressed. Like whether that be getting rid of some of these guys that are just kind of like blah, you know, you know Harrison Bader, as injured as he was, was a guy that went after it every day. Garrett Cole, in the most humble way possible, when I asked him, he he's he's one of those guys. But you can't have one here and, and one there and no longer here anymore. The 98 team had it at all. Every one of those guys hated to lose more than they liked to win. That's what's missing out of this Yankees team. We go to Mark in Bayside. What's going on, Mark? Hi, uh, Danielle. How you doing? Tonight? Good, good. How are you? They're very good. I was at Old Timers Day uh, today, and I, uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, tell you about it. I was with uh, my friend Marty from Westchester and and also uh, my close friend Jim. And uh, we got there really early, like 20 after 11. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I liked about it was it was really kind of cool. You know, uh, you know uh, Sterling and, and, and Kay always come out mm-hmm. at Old Timers But the, announcing the 98 team... You know, uh, I thought made it extra special, and and they would go through all the players, and you know, of course, Mariano and and Derek got the loudest cheers, of which which was which, which was really great. You know, and these players, like you were saying, they led by example. You know, they they they, they uh, hated to lose, and they would go out there every day and strive for win, and and. Um, what I thought was interesting about Alzheimer's Day, even though they didn't do the game, which I always liked, afterwards, uh, Susan Wallman came out mm-hmm. and she did an interview session uh, with Joe Torrey interviewing his former players. Right. Which I, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, uh, uh, see, seeing that, like Scott Brocious, I can't remember the last time he came. Yeah, I was thinking about Day. that too, yeah. But and, you know and he what, though, was there. Mark, it's cool, cool and all, right, to hear the stories, blah, 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 but you want to see the game, right? Don't you want to – how about you do, like, a, a two-inning well, game and truncate it and then do the interviews? I think that would be cool. Right. Well, I agree with you 100%, 100% there about, uh, about that. Uh, I still would like to see – I like the interviewing session. I thought it was, was great. But I would like to see, see the game. I would like to see the Yankees bring that back. I mean, that, that was one thing that was interesting – the last year when the Mets had the old times, they actually brought the ball. Plus, I like to see the players in their complete uniform. Right. I mean, not, 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 not the only player uh, in the old time. I mean, the only person in old times that had a complete uniform uh, was, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Boone. 
Well, because Aaron Boone was, is, was the manager, obviously. Right. He's got to wear but, the managing it, pants. He, you know, he can't wear the right. suit pants. Yeah, Mark, I get right, you. And, and thanks for checking in there. From, from and the other thing I wanted yeah. to mention to you is uh, we, we were waiting uh, like an hour and a half afterwards. I never seen rain like that. I've, I've been to many rain delays. It was mm-hmm. like like a monsoon. Uh, and I was with my friends. We, we passed the time by going uh, to the Yankee Museum, which is really a, a great place. A lot of fans that go may not have the time to go. I haven't gone since 2009, mm-hmm. but I passed some time going to the museum. But unfortunately, I didn't think it was going to be as long as it did. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate to say uh, I, I thought the game was going to be rained out. And we just, we, we left like uh, like, like a, a little after 3.30. We just, we just, we figured this is ridiculous. Yep. You know, and then, then I think at 4.40, they were actually able to get the the, the game in in in, in, in shape uh, to play. Yeah, I know, Mark. And if you saw Michael K's Twitter feed, and I mean, obviously you were there, I wasn't. I looked at Michael K's Twitter feed, and he was like, "Look at the outfield." As many years have I been doing this, I've never seen the outfield look like this. It's it's Lake Yankee or something like that, River Yankee, Yankee River, and um. Yeah, I went to one that it was kind of like that. I've been to two that were kind of like that, where one were like the. Just recently, last season, it was it was canceled. I, I saw Alex Cora go, come out to shake Aaron Boone's hand, and I gathered all my things out of the press box, and I jogged to my car and ran out. And it was like a river going around the, the warning track. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad today. I mean, I was in the vet's office, and the lights went out. So, yes, it was pretty bad. I'm glad everybody seems to have been safe, I think, from what I've seen. Uh, but, yeah, it was something else, man. We go to uh, Ryan in New Jersey. What's up, Ryan? Hey, Danielle, you're the best. Ah, thanks, Ryan. Hey, um, I heard you saying about the stadium being a lot pretty empty during old-timers, and I just can't help but think the old stadium never would have had that happen. I think that's a big part of the change of the new field, the new stadium. Mm-hmm. The Yankees just really lost their identity with that. I know it's not new anymore, but it always drives me crazy. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, Ryan, it's it's very sterile feeling, and and I, I I'm on a quest to go to all the different baseball stadiums, right? And I've seen um, Wrigley Field, I've seen Fenway Park, you know, I've been in, I should say, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, the top two, right? And those two are still the same character, still the same imprint, just you know, in the case of Wrigley Field, especially upgraded. There's no reason why the Yankees couldn't do the same thing. Keep the same imprint and upgrade it. I mean, it cost him enough to build a new one. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't know, man. It's been since 2009. The new stadium and the last time they ever won a World Series. I don't know if they're correlated, but it's very sterile feeling. Um, but, but what are you going to do? It is what it is. That's it. You're not going to knock it down. not going to build a new one. But I agree with you. I, you know, If you're asking me, not which teams play in them, but which buildings are better buildings to see a baseball game in? Sorry, I'm picking City Field. I am. But press box-wise, Yankee Stadium press box is much easier configured than the City Field. The City Field's a mess. It almost feels like the, the press box there was an afterthought. And uh, we got to talk about the Jets, man. Jets, Bills, Monday Night Football. September 11th, as I sit here in my FDNY cap, could it get any bigger? It's Bills Week, and uh, I, I 
posted a poll on Instagram at Coach MCC ARTAN asking, you know, what's the over under? Over under for the Jets. Okay. And nine and a half wins is what the number is set at. And if I go to Instagram right now, I see that 69% of people are taking the over on nine and a half wins for the Jets. I am two. Take the over. And, you know, the Jets have that week seven bye. And I fully expect them to be four and two in that span. Like, there is no reason why they can't be four and two or shouldn't be four and two. And I keep hearing people say three and three. Like, stop settling. You did not bring Aaron Rodgers in here in this season to settle going three for three. Come on, man. In fact, that week one game against the Bills, Monday night in in, in hours, mere hours from now, that division could be decided in that game. And the Jets need to capitalize on the fact that Buffalo kept Von Miller on the pup list. He will not be playing. So great news for a still questionable Jets offensive line. They could sleep better Sunday night knowing that Von Miller will not be on the field. And in case you missed it, Becton and Brown are expected to play. Full participants in Saturday's practice. Brees Hall and Michael Carter, too, just FYI, are expected to play. So over are the self-loathing times surrounding the New York Jets. I don't want to hear that negativity. I got my negativity blockers on. You've got Darrell Revis, a Hall of Fame Jets cornerback that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Telling Rodgers in Canton, this is a quote, take him all the way. The hard knocks cameras caught that moment. You've got a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback who responded, this is a quote too, I'm lucky to be here when Method Man said, we're so lucky to have you. A QB of that stature feels lucky to be wearing Jets green. I still can't believe it. Honestly, this is the most excited that I've been for a Jets season in my entire 35 years. And it's not just him. It's the entire new environment that he has brought. Like, I love when he challenges teammates with the don't always sit with the same group at lunch, get to know your teammates, and be a leader line. I love that so much that I want to almost print it out and put it on my classroom door and tell my students that. And a quick anecdote before we get to your calls here. I play, as you know, on a women's uh, softball team in North Jersey. Um, I play on the Phillies. I didn't pick the name. They picked me. Okay. But one of my teammates, Audrey, was in West Palm Beach eh, about a month and a half ago at this point. And you're never going to guess who she ran into. Joe Namath. And she told him at the restaurant something along the lines of, thanks for offering your number 12 to Aaron Rodgers. And he said, anything to win. Hmm? Great story. Again, Jets nine and a half. So over. I'm with you on Instagram, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Taking your calls on, I guess, college football if you'd like. Uh, Yankees old-timers day and the Jets, Bills. It's it's on the anniversary of 9-11. It's, I think, going to be an instant classic for many reasons. I'm Daniel McCartan, and stay locked in for my score prediction, game breakdown, and tell me yours right next here on The Fan. Your official station to talk Jets. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today.
my name is Danielle McCartan, and obviously I'm not watching it because I'm doing a show. It's on pay-per-view. But if you're into this kind of thing, Sean Strickland beat Israel Adesanya by unanimous decision. He is the undisputed middleweight champion, and that was at UFC 293. Strickland, again, beats Adesanya. That's a big upset. But well, I'm not watching it. So if you are, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Um, but I, I am not. I'm telling you right now, I'm not watching it. I don't plan on watching the rest of it, okay? 877 uh, Jets prediction coming up. We'll break down of the game. But this this self-loathing Jet fan, I don't want to hear from you tonight. Please, just, just keep your phone right where it is. Do not pick it up because the Jets are ready for liftoff. It, that's it. And I, I, spoiler alert! Already, I'm picking the Jets to win in Week One. Um, but uh, and 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 seventy percent of you on on Instagram, or sixty nine percent of you on Instagram, are picking the Jets at you know to have over nine and a half wins. I think that's easy. I think that's too low. We'll talk about the Giants at seven and a half as well. Um, and back to your calls about Old Timers Day, etc. And and I just had a tweet at Coach M C C A R T A N from Ricardo, and he said. Danielle, great roundup about today's old-timers day in the 98 Yankees. They were a special team. Let's not forget about the great management by Joe Torre of all those incredible players. An old-timers day game would be nice, would have been nice. I agree. A shame the Yankees didn't win today. I mean, it, I, yes, it goes without saying. I cannot believe I didn't mention Mr. T as uh, Derek Jeter you know, continues to this day to keep calling him Mr. T. Um, how can I forget? But, yes, all that managed by Joe Torre. 877-337-6666. We head out to Long Island. Julie, line two, what's going on? How you doing, Danielle? Thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks for um, you do a great show. I enjoy listening to you when you're on. Um, you know, I just want to talk about one of the biggest sports stories right now, um, the Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah. Um, let me tell you something. <laughs> I am not a college football fan. Um, I don't think I've ever watched a uh, college football game in like yeah. all my life, <laughs> except last week there was like a buzz around Deion Sanders yeah. coaching this team, also how they were underdogs, and I'm a big sports fan, and I'm a fan of the underdog, and since last week, I am hooked on this team, <laughs> okay? They are so exciting. Um, Dion is so charismatic, yeah. and if you look, um, they have an L. For um, this, it stands for leader. It's not a captain, it's a leader. Ooh. And they have a D on some of the players have a D, like Hunter, one of, one of the stars, Hunter has a D. And that stands for, what do you think? D? D. What do you think the D stands for? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. It stands, I just I just learned today, I looked at, he, he, he designated leaders for L and dogs, D-O-W-G. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So I recommend everybody check out Colorado Buffaloes next week. I mean, they're 2-0. They would not even, like, I think, like, pick to win two games this whole, this whole season. Yeah. Everybody thought Deion Sanders was a joke. He goes by Coach Prime. Yeah. That's his name. I know. But I, 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 I definitely recommend everyone check it out. So. I saw, you know what, Julie, while you're on the phone here, I did see that the, the credential requests for today's game or whenever they played Saturday's game was like 810 media credentials. It broke the record for the history of the school. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Yeah. People are jumping on the bandwagon, I see. Oh, yeah, because last, last 
last season, from what I'm told, they were like one in eleven or something. Like they they only won like one game the whole of last year. Yeah. Okay, so for them now to be two and zero oh, and to beat TCU, which I'm learning all these like sports, <laughs> like yeah. I'm learning all about college football now, and it's like they're so exciting. His son, for those of you who don't, who don't know, his yeah. son is quarterback. He also has another son on defense, and he has this other player, Hunter, who's a two way player. He plays um, wide receiver. He also plays, I think, wide receiver. He, but he, he he also plays defense too, and he is like amazing. And they're talking about that his son for quarterback um, is in contention for the Heisman Trophy already. Jeez. He, he got 500 um, He got five hundred yards um, last week. Yeah, saw that. And, and this week he did very well, too. So I just recommend Big everybody. Big fan. Big fan, Julie. <laughs> now I am. So anyway, keep up the good good job, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Yes, they were 1-12. I just looked up 1-12 last season. You know what, though? I was having this conversation with somebody at work. Like, you're Deion Sanders. You're bringing your kids into the team, onto the team. What if you were the, the quarterback who's worked your tail off to get to that spot, and you're like, nope, sorry, you can't do it. Deion Sanders' kid is going to take your spot from you, like right out from under you. Like, I'd be quite, I, I would be a man, I would be mad if I was, if I were those kids, I would be. And I don't know, I just, I guess it's working for them, and that's great for them. But I coached on a team where there was a dad, like at the high school level, varsity level, there was a, I not by my choice because I would never choose this. I actually spoke out against it. There was a dad that was given the green light to actually be on the coach's payroll. He was a coach on the varsity team. Guess who was our starting pitcher? His daughter. Oh, yeah, and he had a lot of say. It was it was just, just a not good situation. It was a toxic situation. So seems to be working out for Deion Sanders. Didn't work out for uh, us, shall I say, on our softball team, our high school softball team. Um so I'm not typically a fan of dads coaching their own kids. You know, when it, rec is great. I mean, rec is, you don't get paid to do rec. You're doing it for the love of the game, for the love of your kids, all that. Beautiful. You're teaching them the game. But once it gets down to it, you know, I, I, I played on a basketball team in high school. My team in high school basketball, her dad, on the varsity team, her dad was the coach. He was a teacher in the building. He was a coach. And this guy, by the way, wasn't the teacher in the building, the softball. But this guy, he was a teacher in the building. He coached us. And, uh... Every time we had to do like these running drills, she would, oh, I have to go get my inhaler. She would get out of all of the hard running drills and he would allow it. Like that's the kind of stuff that as a player who works their tail off and myself, it bothered me. 877-337-6666. And of course you never miss any playing time because of it. So that, that kind of stuff bothers me. Seems to be working out for Colorado. Good for them. Good for Coach Prime, I guess. Right? Gene in Babylon's next up here on The Fan. Yes, uh, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. And I was a vendor at Shea Stadium from 1970 to 1985, mm-hmm. and I worked so many events there. You know, with the Pope was there, roller derbies, concerts. <laughs> and then I, you know, I remember the Yankees came in you know, for two years. They were refurbishing the stadium, and I ended up working at Yankee Stadium for five years. Mm-hmm. And one of the best memories I've ever had and working at all these events was all-timers day at Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. when they put out Waddy Ford, Mickey Mantle, and Joe DiMaggio. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous that you got to see that. It, it, it was so emotional. It was unbelievable. You stand, you, people standing up clapping. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you know, I was a vendor. You can't sell my, it, it, it was just a, I'll never forget that memory. 
Yeah. That, Gene, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm jealous that you got to see that. Um, obviously, not me, but that that's a cool memory. That is a great memory. We go to Tom in Brooklyn. What's up there, Tom? Hello? Hello. Uh, hello, Daniel. First time talking to you. Oh, well, the pleasure's all mine, Tom. What's going on? Thank you. I got a, a question for you. See if you if you have an answer to my question. Okay. Would you okay? Would you have an answer as to why I think no baseball records should count? No baseball records should count. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm trying to figure out. Is this a riddle here? Um, I don't know. I give up. Tell me why. Of course, I think that all baseball fields should have the same dimensions for them to count. Hmm. I Does see where you're going. You? I see where you're going with that, but uh, yeah. it goes back to the old days, though, Tom. Like the old, old days when they were first built. Like they had to fit in in a one square block, um, and so they used to get creative in, in how they got that done. I read that once. So yeah, I but mean, that, but that wouldn't apply in, in recent years, like the last hundred years, would it? Yeah, fifty years, seventy-five years. That explanation know. wouldn't wouldn't do, would it? I don't know. See, I, I like the charm of it all. I like the difference in the fields, the, the different, the green monster. It's all, it makes all, each stadium unique. Yeah, I like but, it. Uh, but as far as like, you know, home run records, for example, like the old Yankee Stadium, Jordan Maggio used to hit balls 450 feet, that'd be caught. If he ever played in the, in, in, in Atlanta where uh, Hank Aaron played, he'd have 5 million home runs. 5 million. Well, here's the well, thing. You know, Tom, listen. Five million, maybe. Maybe if he played in Colorado, he'd have seven million. Are we going to start digging out uh, Coors Field and making it, you know, uh, not susceptible to altitude? I mean, no. I like the charm. I think that's what makes baseball baseball in a way. Like I get it. Soccer fields are the same dimensions. Basketball courts are the same dimensions. Football fields are the same dimensions. But that's why baseball is a little bit different. And even still, even think about football fields. MetLife Stadium, those freaking walls are 15 feet high surrounding the field. You go to Lambeau Field, you're sitting right on the field pretty much. That's a difference right then and there. The swirling winds at MetLife Stadium, are we going to just make every stadium a dome now? Like, I understand where you're going, but I just don't think it's plausible. I mean, I think that's what makes baseball baseball, right? So on, on the anniversary of 9-11 in the shadow of the World Trade Center with Mr. Rogers in his new neighborhood. Jets, Bills, I think is going to be an instant classic. Uh, it's going to be a face-off, I'm sure you've heard already, between the, the, the Cook brothers, Dalvin and James. Key matchup for the Jets offensively. Tredavious White versus Garrett Wilson. And even if he does lock down Wilson, which I don't think he will entirely, the Jets have other wide receivers that can make a difference, namely Alan Lazard. Caught 60 balls last season for his other team. But none of that matters if the Jets' offensive line does not hold up. And as we've talked about during drive time on Labor Day, and we talked about a little bit before, the Bills have kept Von Miller on the pup list. That's a huge break for the Jets and that offensive line. Brown is expected to play. Becton is expected to play, and we'll see. But there's also coming off each edge. You got to worry about Greg Rosso. He had he had seven or eight sacks in 13 games last season. Got to about worry about Leonard Floyd coming off the edge. Nine sacks, 22 quarterback hits last season. But I think the Jets have the speed and the dimensions to their offense this year 
to game plan for it, to absorb it. Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, I'm a little worried about both of them. Not so much Josh Allen, because as long as the Jets' defensive line can contain him, I think they're going to be all right. And I think they will, especially as the game goes on, because the depth in that unit, you're going to see it late in the third quarter. You're going to see it on Monday night. Sauce Gardner, Stefan Diggs, also an intense matchup to watch. Gardner, who's coming off his defensive rookie of the year season, don't forget. I mean, 20 passes defense last season, two interceptions, I believe it was. Most impressive, forget all that. Most impressive from Sauce Gardner, from me, from last year, from the rookie. When quarterbacks targeted him last year, they had a 62.9 rating. That's it. That's as locked down as a rookie cornerback on wide receiver ones as you're going to get. And I expect more or better this season. DJ Reed on the other side, too. That might be the best wide receiver tandem in the league. I'm sorry, the best cornerback tandem in the league. And I was there on the sideline when Zach Wilson and those Jets beat the Bills at the Meadowlands last season. And I think these Jets will hand them again this season at the Meadowlands. The la- the line, the betting line, the last I saw, Jets were two-and-a-half-point underdogs. So it's basically like pick them. Here's what I say. I think the Jets are going to win an overtime thriller, instant classic on Monday Night Football on the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. I'm going New York Jets 27, Buffalo Bills 24 in overtime. I'm Daniel McCartan. A quick break and a Dexter Henry update coming your way here on The Fan. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Mike Piazza has now hit more home runs than any catcher in the history of Major League Baseball. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. I get a what what. My name is Dan McCartan with you till 3 a.m. right here on WFAN New York City. As I post up on social medias, I am accountable for what I say. Believe me. So I'm posting up on uh, on on. I guess I can't do it on Instagram. I guess it'll disappear. But on Twitter, on Facebook, Coach McCartan, New York Jets 27, Buffalo Bills 24, overtime victory for the Jets. All posted up. And uh, my rule there is this: you can't criticize. Unless you post your own score prediction as well and hold yourselves accountable. That's how I work. That's how I roll. I I just feel like maybe you're up listening right now because like the night before Christmas, you can't sleep. It's the night before the Giants play. And I got to tell you one thing. For the Giants, a theme that probably the biggest theme that I'm going to be keeping an eye on all season long. Um. And, and and I said this exact sentence, this direct quote on my drive time Labor Day show, in the context of the Mike Evans discussion, I said, I don't like the structure, excuse me, of the offense that Waller right now is the wide receiver one, pass catcher number one for the Giants. Not, I don't like Darren Waller. I love him. I love what Joe Shane did to get him. But I don't like... 
how the offense seemed to run through Waller when I was there for the couple plays he plays with Jones um, in, in this preseason. And I know he's listed as a tight end, but he was wide receiver one, make no mistake about it. So there's that inherent problem in relying on Darren Waller as, as wide receiver one. And I'm not happy that the Giants offense seems to be built around him because he missed 16 games over the last two, two seasons with the Raiders. So Waller, as a focal point of the Giants passing game, I think is misguided and irresponsible given his career injury history. And I went back and looked. Started with the concussion. Then there was a, a three hamstring strains during his career, not counting the most recent one. He's had two shoulder sprains, a foot sprain, thumb surgery, another knee sprain, and now his fourth career hamstring strain officially listed as questionable in Sunday night's game, Sunday night football's game. So it's I think it's irresponsible to, to structure an offense to make him a focal point of an offense given the injury history. I mean, just last season he missed eight games with a hamstring. And also concerning, there was hamstring tightness late in the week at practice. So it wasn't based on one single practice, one single instance. Is it from overuse already? I mean, they haven't played a single regular season game yet. But I guess... Take a step back, and the best news for week one is this. It might not be that bad because the Giants had till 4 p.m. Saturday to elevate a tight end. The deadline was 4 p.m. They didn't do it. So they are sticking with Waller as tight end one slash wide receiver one. But please, use it as a cautionary tale. I hope the money that Joe Shane has been freeing up against the cap is going to be used to make a run at Mike Evans, who is a perfect fit in this Giants offense. Just in the past six days, Joe Shane, here's what he did. Graham Gano, a three-year extension. Just, yes, well, I guess Friday at this point. Just Friday. Freed up about $3 million. Saturday morning. Joe Shane converted the base salaries of, of O'Karake and Lawrence to signing bonuses. In doing that, freed up $1.55 million in cap space. Then you had, go back to when I was on with you that day, Daniel Jones's rework of his contract, the contract he just signed. They reworked it on Labor Day. Freed up like $6.1 million. And I said it on that day, and I'll say it again. You don't just clear now $11 million in cap space in six days just for the hell of it. You don't just... Do that. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Giants are going to pounce on the disgruntled Mike Evans in Tampa Bay. Now that would be an offense to be reckoned with. And it would take the pressure off Darren Waller to become wide receiver one as well. 877-337-6666. Am I right? Am I off base? Am I right? Let me know. Give me a call. We go out to Lake Mary, Florida. What's up, Michael? Danielle. Esedice. <laughs> oh, you're learning Italian, I see. Ah, start to pick it up here and there a little bit for you. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Oh, good. How was your first week at school? Good? 
Well, uh, first day of school, Wednesday, I was in bed at 9.12. Second day of school, I was in bed at 8.42. And uh, Friday night, mm. I put the toothpicks in my eyes, and I stayed up till 10.02. It's been very <laughs> brutal, but it's fun. Yeah. Well, you'll get there. You just have to just, just have to just get back to adjusting everything to what it was before. But, yeah, uh, I know. And then resetting anyway. it tonight and readjusting it tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. I got a, a giant point and a Yankee point for you. So with the Giants, um, it's kind of piggybacking a little bit about what you said over here, but really concerned about the Waller injury. I know that you know they had till four today to, uh, to to elevate somebody off the practice squad, and they pick some, they pick. I think it was a running back that they picked in that's going to be on special teams. So that's good news that they didn't have to elevate a tight end. But that is a nagging type of an injury that you yeah. worry about, and and even with the weather tomorrow night, I was looking. It's like a rain, you know, when it's raining. That's not the best thing for a hamstring either. Mm-hmm. So I get a little concerned about that. So I'm hoping that this cap space uh, adjusting that they're doing is going to maybe create something a little later in the season because I I was looking up, I think, the hit that Evans is at right now. It's a, it's a full season. I think he's at 23 mil. So I think they'd have to probably either wait a little bit prorated into the season or maybe have to make some more moves. But – I agree with you. You don't want Waller to be the primary uh, target because if he goes down, then we got a problem here. So I just like just like the idea of adding another weapon here if we could do it. I, I, I know, and and I'm thinking like like you don't just free up this money just for the hell of it. Like there's got to be a move. There's got to be something hmm. percolating, don't you think? You think? And I even saw that. I even saw that. They could also be targeting T. Higgins. I don't know if that's just another rumor that's out there, but he's another one that they're not going to – Cincinnati's not going to do something with their contract. And yeah. he's also unrestricted at the end of the year. He's 25. He's about the same size as, as Evans. Yeah. And he's had 3,000-yard seasons. And he's, the, and he's the secondary target there. He's not right. even the primary guy. Right. Because Jamar Chase is the primary guy. So something, something to keep your eyes on for that. And I was thinking, um, I'm trying to think back to Jamar Chase. Is his contract the same? Let me see. Jamar Chase, he is a free agent after the 2026 season. Oh, okay, he's never got mind. a couple more years. Yeah, he's got a couple more. Never yeah. mind. Okay, go ahead. All right. Anyway, so now for the Yankee point with the um, the players to, uh, the players back then hating to lose more than liking to win. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing I think I noticed with it about why things could be a little different today is because – these players today, like a lot of them, are not long-term team members. There's a constant movement with free agency, uh, chasing the money, going somewhere else. I remember back I mean, back in those days, you had those rivalries built with the consistent players over and over again yeah. with lineups. Like you knew, you know, you had your you know how it was, right? The Red Sox were the top rival, and it was always. The same guys all the time over and over. So you have to you have to build that little bit of a hatred there, I think, to hate to lose. But I think when you just move around with too many guys, I think that causes that type of an issue like that. What are it, your thoughts? I mean, about? it could. Um, I don't know though. I don't know if I agree with that, Michael, because you could be hitting ninth and still hate to lose just as much as the guy is hitting first. And if you're hitting first tomorrow, mm-hmm. like I don't think it changes the mentality. Hmm. Could be the makeup of the player, you know where they're coming from. Yeah, it could know, be. Trying, it, it could be that. It could be the makeup I'm, of the player. It could be coming from the top, coming from the manager too. It could be like, 
Like, I always mm-hmm. said this, too. He always exudes this laissez-faire, and that's not the right word, but this, hey, we'll get him tomorrow. Right. Hey, we'll get him. But, like, no, you got to build up some urgency then. But you also have to have yeah. the players in the clubhouse to do it, as in the example between David Rells and Jorge Posada. I mean, the players have to police themselves in a way. Right. I mean, and to your point with Garrett Cole, you could see he's got that bulldog mentality. Yeah. You interviewed him. Yeah. I could see it not even interviewing him how he is, how he carries himself. Even that time when Boone came out to take him out of the game, get off my mouth. I love that. You know, that's the kind of guy you want, you know? Yeah, that is my but favorite so Garrett Cole moment in pinstripes. Yeah. Definitely have to make some changes for next year. But, Danielle, always a pleasure to talk to you. Enjoy the football Sunday, okay? Thanks. You too, Michael. Appreciate that. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Uh, yeah. I mean – like, you know, like, when I coach my own teams, like, girls, you know, coaching high school girls is different than coaching um, Major League Baseball players. I get it. But there's some years that you just get a group of girls together and, and they don't have that killer instinct. And yet there's some years that you get them. Some years there's just one of them. Some years there's two of them. And, and you could see it in the makeup of the team. And sometimes no matter what I did, I couldn't make them want to win. I tried everything, believe me. So to mo- maybe maybe the, the athletes need to be more self-motivated. And it's up to them to go searching this offseason to figure out how exactly they plan to do that. We go out to Ben in Queens. What's going on, Ben? It's been a while. Uh, morning there, Coach. Well, I had I had the World Cup. I had track and field. So I'm getting a chance to do this because it's a national holiday. You're a busy dude. Hey, hey, you you see my Twitter. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, so um, I have both teams going ten and seven this year. Giants. With a caveat, even the Giants. I have the Giants going ten and seven because I see like like. I see this team with the quality that they have on defense, similarly to how the the Jets were last year before the offense totally collapsed. I see that defense not allowing this team to spiral. <laughs> if you if you, like looking at their schedule, okay. And again, I'm I'm a schedule dude, so I I do everything off of that, and I realize the fear of what the Giants receiving core is because we all saw what happened to Kansas City on Thursday. <laughs> you know? Right. You, well, that's, right. That's a constant fear. Yep. So, so I, I, I know there's more in, in tune Giant fans that will argue with me about that. Yeah, they, Ben, I think it's a little, I think it's a little generous. I, I do. I, Vegas is saying seven and a half. I'm going to go like eight. That's right. I'm taking you over, but I'm going like eight. Hey, this is a switch. Usually I'm the negative one and you're the positive one. But when we get to my Jets, it yeah. switches around. Mm-hmm. Again, caveat, the first 10 games of the season. If the Jets can make it through the first 10 games of the season, four and six, they're finishing 10 and seven. That's how I have them. But if they do better than that, look out AFC. That's and it. you know me, I am not a Rodgers guy. But Rodgers do, does not have to win games for this team. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have to lose them. Right. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that. But if he could get in his head, I don't have to force everything. I have weapons around me that I could capitalize on. 
I'm feeling good. But for the first games of the year, I have the... the oh, come giant. on. Come on. The Jets are going to go 4-2 and two in the first games of the season. But right before the bye, they're going 4-2. and two. You got 4-2? and two? Yeah. Uh, I wish I was that. Uh, like I said, first 10, I have them 4-6, and 5-5. and five. Oh, boy, Ben. I don't know about I, I, that. Again, again, I, I see the back half of the year, the defense... Uh, uh, just within teams, but but the first ten that's hard. That it's hard. I again, it could be me, Jed fan. Years of pessimism. <laughs> that's it. Let, let, let this team prove it to me. But game one, I see the Giants beating Dallas, twenty-eight twenty-seven. Late field goal, <laughs> get the home the, the the fans home happy. I'm with you with the Jets and the Bills. Right. I have I, I I could see this Jets team jumping up and surprising the Bills and and start starting the season off on a good note. Twenty seven, twenty one. I had twenty seven, twenty four on an overtime <laughs> field goal. We'll see. I, I, I have a flair for the dramatics, clearly. Hey, hey, coach, I'm right there sweating with you. I'm I'm just like okay. But, but Ben, listen, and, and thanks for the call there, Ben. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the Jets aren't sneaking up on the Bills. Like they, no, they're, the Jets are sneaking up on nobody this season. Nobody, especially given the fact, well, a they have a number eight at their quarterback now, and but given the fact that I was there that day that Zach Wilson's Jets beat the Bills at the Meadowlands, we were there. So they're not sneaking up on the Bills. Jets are still going to win the game, twenty-seven, twenty-four. I think on an overtime field goal. Let's go to uh, Chris in Massapequa. What's going on, Chris? Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, what do we got? Uh, the Giants. We okay. got the Giants. We're talking about the Giants, right? We can do that. <laughs> All right, good. That's, uh, that's the only thing I know how to talk about as far as sports go. Um, I, uh, I, like, I like Dable. I like the GM. Mm-hmm. Um, I like where the team's going. Um. I don't love everything, but uh, you brought up the Mike Evans. And uh, I like your thinking to a point, but I'm actually – I'm you, you said the word disgruntled wide receiver, and I got, like, shock treatment, like, flashback <laughs> with the whole – but, yeah, I, no, I'm not into it. It's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I no, mean... I don't want to <laughs> sign a big contract to wide receiver. No, no, I don't want that. I absolutely do not want that. I, but <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> – Get where you're going, but I think I think he wants out because you know there is going. no. You know what I'm talking about. I know <laughs> there is no more Tom Brady there, right? And he's not like Odell Beckham Jr. If that's what you're going to, have. but I, I, Tom Brady's no longer there. Todd Bowles is a is a piss poor head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. He's just not a head coach. This is the second time, second go around with it, and I think Mike Evans sees the sees the writing on the wall and wants to get out, you know, and not waste a, a season in his prime. I think that's what it is. I don't think it's disgruntled in a, in a different way. I, I think that's what it is. He wants to win. Uh, yeah. He's not um, doing it with this Bucks team. I, I you're probably right about that. Like, no, I don't. Th- I'm not. I don't think he's uh, immature and stuff like that. But uh, honestly, it's it's. I I I, I still don't like it. <laughs> oh man, Chris. I, I, I'm more. Of a tr- I'm more of like, yo. We need the Giants to compete. I think. Um, I'm not sure about this offensive line. You know, we still don't really know. And and I hear everybody say weapons. 
I bought it, and in that case, I don't want to be like insulting, so let me just be careful how I say this. I, I do hear a lot of people speaking about giants and the weapons, mm-hmm. but if, but if they, but if you can't protect Daniel Jones, right. and if he's running and running, I don't care. Like you have to protect this guy. So for me, that's still the concern, not the wide receivers. Uh, you know, I think they improved the wide receiver core. They did. Jalen Hyatt might, might be great. Oh. I think it might be great. I mean, maybe rookie you know? of the year. Like, get your bet in now yeah. for rookie of the year. Yeah. Yeah, he could be great. Then you've got Shepard if he stays healthy. I forgot I said that. So let's let's go with uh, who else do we have? Hodgins, right? And who else do we have? Uh, Slayton. Well, Slayton. Yeah, Shepard's back. They're not terrible. I mean, you know, Paris Campbell. Yeah, not terrible. I don't know. But uh, we'll Chris, we'll, we'll see. Chris, if you're saying no to Mike Evans, he's had a thousand yards every season that he's ever had in the NFL. Nine of, and it wasn't Tom Brady throwing him the ball. We're talking like Jameis Winston, who sucks, and Josh McCown, who never stayed on a, on a team How for more. Than... Mike Evans. Mike Evans. I think he's. 30. I have no idea. I'll be honest. With you. Hold on, let me look. I think he might be thirty. Mike Evans' age. He's thirty. Yeah, born in August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. I mean. I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I, I, Chris, I, I'm, not totally, I'm not totally against it because, you know, hey, what do I know? But uh, I don't even really know the guy that well. So, um, hey, yeah, maybe, would he make him better? Make it, uh, chemistry-wise, I'm concerned about it because, like, don't he be. hasn't been on the team, you know, for the pre, for the camp and all that. And I just don't know with the sure. locker room. I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't feel comfortable. But, hey, I don't know. Uh, you, it, uh, we still got Barkley. I forgot Eric Gray. We still got... Bellinger, we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them. All of them, Chris. We're going down the roster now. All of them. Yes. And uh, we'll talk about Mike Evans in a second because I, I the, the Giants, the win total, the over-under for the Giants is seven and a half. I'm Daniel McCartan. Again, like the Jets, I'm hammering the over. You and I, let's talk about why next right here on The Fan. 877-337-6666. When this happened, you talk about it on The Fan. In the year 2003, Clemens wins his 300th as the Yankees have beaten St. Louis 5-2. Clemens has come on the field and getting a standing ovation from the sold-out 55,000 at Yankee Stadium. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Danielle McCartan hanging with you till 3 a.m. on this early Sunday morning week one for the New York Jets and New York Giants. Obviously, the Giants playing on Sunday night football. The, the, the Jets play on Monday night football. And the over-under line for the Giants is 7.5. Let me open up my phone here and go and consult Instagram because on there I posted a poll earlier today. 2023 New York Giants, 7.5 wins over or under. 71% of you guys are taking the over, as am I. I look, I, I know the Giants have the third most difficult strength of schedule based on last year's um, teams, you know. But I think seven and a half is just it, in and of itself a little low. Welcome back to the show. Again, I'm Daniel McCartan, and in case you're just tuning in, um, 
Field Yates on 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 Labor Day morning uh, dropped a present for Giants Nation, and it said the Giants have restructured the contract of quarterback Daniel Jones, converting it blah 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 of his base salary into a sign, basically creating six point three one five million dollars in cap space. Okay, then as we just went over Saturday morning, Joe Shane and company converted the remaining available base salary salaries of Okereke and Lawrence into signing bonuses. There's now, uh, based on that, $1.55 million in cap space. Then Graham Gano, who has been nothing but absolutely freaking automatic for the New York Giants, three-year extension freed up about $3 million. So the Giants now have a pile of about $11 million that they're sitting on. I think they should push it all in for Mike Evans, if that's what they're angling to do. In every season he has been in the NFL, He's caught over 1,000 yards. And like I was just saying, his quarterbacks haven't always been Tom Brady. Josh McCown, the the NFL career journeyman. He's had Jameis Winston, who's horrible. He's had Mike Glennon throwing the balls to him. I mean, come on. Mike Evans is a complete package in a wide receiver one, which in my opinion, a stud wide receiver one is what the Giants are missing. We already talked about the quarterbacks he's worth with, worked with years before Brady. He's six five, which, by the way, is two inches taller than any wide receiver in that room. Only one inch shorter than Darren Waller, but he's a tight end. And the least amount of games he's durable. The, the least amount of games that he's ever played in a season, thirteen, a Pro Bowl year. You know, the betters have the Giants at seven and a half wins for this season. And I, like I said, I'm taking you over. And you better do it before they make Mike Evans a New York Giant. I also say the over because the Giants, I think, are being severely underrated this season. The problem for them will be, again, the third toughest, toughest strength of schedule in the league. To me, Daniel Jones has never, never been a question mark for this team. Those that have been listening to my show for a while know that. And with Barkley back, Waller, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not too concerned about the offense, really. To me, it has always been about the defense. And Madeline Burke, you know, kind of corrected me last week, but I- I'm still sticking with it. The defense wasn't good enough last year. But again, in just this past week or so, Joe Shane's worked some more magic, man. Boogie Basham for basically nothing. Isaiah Simmons for basically nothing. Plus the drafting of Deontay Banks, the, the the right cornerback one, day one starter in this year's draft. I mean, I had him listed as the 38th best overall player in the draft. I think the Giants defense is going to be much better and much improved from where they are last year. Which is why all things considered, that win-loss mark of 7.5, I just think is too low. I'm taking the over on the Giants this year. I wish you could parlay them. Jets and Giants over both win totals. 877-337-6666. We check in on the phones. In the order that you call, we go to Brett in Kingston, New York. What's going on, Brett? Hey, is this Danielle? This is me. Is this Brett? This is Brett. I love talking to you, Danielle. <laughs> I've only talked to you a couple times, but, man, you're like the Fast in NFL. I, I, I kid you not. Well, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. What do you got for me tonight? Well, I want to say is 
Who is Mike Evans? Explain to the folks who Mike Evans is. But that's a joke. But I want to say is I follow a capper that won the NFL contest in Vegas several years ago. Okay. So I follow him. He is not touching the Jets this week and probably not the next week even after that. But he is on the Giants plus whatever it is on the Dallas Cowboys. So he believes the Giants have something going. And I'll leave it at that. Let you go. Thank you very much for the call, Danielle. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Brett. Thanks for making the call. Um, See, the thing is, I can't not touch the Jets or Giants in in, in these weekly predictions. I'm here. I have to make a pick, and I'm picking the Jets. And I'm picking picking the Cowboys. I'm sorry. I will get to that in a second. We go out to Rockland, New York. Steve, you're up on the fan. Hi, Daniel. So about the Yankees, you know, the greatest team of all time, Mm -hmm. how about the 1936 Yankees? Okay, I'll let you call it, you know, you could, you could, that's for your review to, for something for you to review those, because that was, uh, that was, I'm pretty sure that was Lou Gehrig's last year of, uh, you know, like mythical numbers. I think he had 36, you said 1936, 1936, that was his rookie season. Oh, DiMaggio? That was DiMaggio. Oh, Gehrig. I'm sorry. You said Gehrig. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, well, no, no. I said that Gehrig had 174. I'm pretty sure it was 174 RBIs. Oh, that season he had. Let me check. Let's see. Let's check it. He had 152. You were close. And then he had, but then he had one, two, three more all-star seasons after that. He did. Well, that was the other thing. Someone who was of that vintage who saw plenty of those home games, okay, Think about. I mean, when you think about this, right? In 1936, where did you see baseball? You either saw it. You went to a stadium. Yeah. You saw it. You know, you saw pictures in the newspaper or in books. Yeah. Or they had sometimes they had it on newsreels. If you, when you went to the movies. Uh-huh. So if you weren't close to the, you know, within prox- proximity to certain stadiums. You you did not see these teams. This guy and this guy said, "Well, you know, the late '90s, yeah, you know, '90s. It's a it, they are a great team, but I think my favorite team was the '30s. You know, the, my favorite one was '36, '37, and '38. I think, you know. So I know. I just to, to me, I mean, they're great. I'm not. Right? I'm not. And I'm not I mean, saying that the '98 Yankees don't deserve." To be put in that conversation, I'm just, you know, that was Joe. How many and how many RBIs did Joe Demet? Didn't he? Isn't that like the rookie record for RBIs for a rookie? I mean, he had a lot. <laughs> rookie record RBI. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Joe D for that season. No, 1939 Williams. Wow. Ted Williams. Well, when they used to go to the you know old timers day, they used to go. You know, they would. Uh, um, Introduced Ted Williams as the greatest living hitter, and Joe D is the greatest living player. <laughs> well, I mean, Joe D he was sixth on the list of rookie RBI. I get, yeah, I wow. just, I just don't like comparing. I guess it was my fault because I did it, but I just don't like comparing like different <laughs> eras. You know, like 
1939, like they had cars driving through the outfield for crying out loud. Understood. Understood. You know? Understood. And here's and here's something an NFL question, and I'll hang up. So the way the preseason is set up mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. The, the just the general structure, which is so different than it was, you know, even I don't know, ten, maybe more than ten, but it's it's completely different. The word "if" is the the most prominent word because what does Unless you're, you know, a coach or whatever, what do you really know what the, these teams have exactly? I mean, you might know, you know, maybe you go to, the, you know, go see Pride, but what does, you know, what do fans, you know, how can they gauge it based on the way the preseason is now structured? Yeah. I mean, you don't know. It's a crapshoot, you know, basically, is what you're saying. Because you, you're not playing your starters and you're not playing the quarterbacks. Right, right. And, and, and you're seeing. You know, how guys, and then, you know, the cut down, like, what do you know about how the teams rated it when they just go from however many to 53 and one felt, you know, in one shot? Yeah. You know, it used to, when, when they did the, 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 uh, cutting, you know, when they cut guys in increments, you know, it gave, it gave other players a chance to catch on, but so that, that's my question. And I just have to agree. If, If the Giants, if the Giants would sign Mike Evans, <laughs> that would be like Christmas on open, you know, I know. in September. I know. For just, it's a great idea. I hope, I hope there's someone listening. <laughs> but listen, so just your thoughts about the whole like the pre-season. preseason and what you really know and what you don't, you know, because everybody is, is the, the, the speculation. Is all based on it. And let's face it, right now the four-letter word for Jet fans is high ankle sprain. <laughs> oh, God. You know what, Steve? I'm cutting you off right there, Steve. Keep your words to yourself over there, high ankle sprain. Get out of here with that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks for calling. I appreciate that, uh, especially at this time of night. But uh, the, the, the preseason, I, I think, you know, as a, from a coaching perspective, I'm not looking to see what the, the, you know, what the Tampa Bay Bucks have. If I'm the Jets, like I'm looking to see how my team, how my team, how can I structure my team? You know, like I'm looking internally. It's just to see my own players internally um, against competition that is not wearing the same color jerseys or alternate color jerseys as, as my own team. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it, I liken it to scrimmages. You know, but we we also don't have scrimmages before we make. We have our team set before we make scrimmages, which is maybe a mistake. Um. Yeah, I just you know it, the value in the preseason is just internal. It, it's nothing external to see what other teams have because it's impossible to do so. I mean, I heard today something that rosters turn turn over twenty five percent every season. I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard it on the radio. Must be true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. I mean, you're looking at Jones and Waller in that one preseason game, and you're like, well, that's something that might stick this year. That connection, you know. I don't know. You're not looking. In other words, you're not looking to draw anything. I wouldn't be looking to draw anything other than internal competition from scrimmages and, and preseason games. And I don't know. I I think I think at times you can get more from a a controlled joint practice than you can in a scrimmage. I don't know. Just my two cents. Because uh, you asked. Um, all right, so let's see. 
I've got a Giants prediction. I, you know, I talked about how the offensive structure and the receiver option order sort of worries me um, now and probably throughout the season. Uh, but anyway, a score prediction, a Sunday night football game preview, and yours as well at 877-337-6666. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Manning calling signals, takes the snap, looks left, lobs it left, first is wide open, touchdown Giants! In the left corner of the end zone! Touchdown! With 35 seconds to go, and the Giants regain the lead! Manning the first! When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. My name is Daniel McCartan, hanging with you until 3 a.m. And you know, an unbiased sports talk host. And I must say, there are a few things um, that I need to talk about. And I have the t-shirt here. Someone left it. Uh, this giant B giant blue out um, is happening on Sunday Night Football. There's two t-shirts right here in the studio. I think Justin Tuck gave them to the morning guys. That's pretty cool. Um, but uh, you've also got Newark, New Jersey's own Queen Latifah is going to be singing the national anthem, so that's pretty cool. But a few things that worry me about this Giants-Cowboys primetime matchup and more of your calls again at 877-337-6666. A, it's in primetime. Daniel Jones, I'm pretty sure, is 1-9 uh, in his career in regular postseason primetime games. And even this goes back to pre-Daniel Jones, because in recent history, the Giants are, I'm pretty sure I added up right, they're 1-12 in in primetime games. They have lost 11 out of their last 12 primetime games, dating back to before Daniel Jones' time. B, it's the Giants' cornerbacks against the Cowboys' pass catchers, which also worries me. It's a dangerous matchup for the Giants, because they've got not one, but two rookies lining up at quarterback in most defensive packages. Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks, who Madeline Burke told us, don't get confused, he goes by Tay. Trey and Tay are the quarterback duos for the, for the New York Giants. But they're both rookies. And Banks, 24th overall pick in this year's draft. They moved up one pick to go and get him. I had him as the 38th best player overall. Then there's Hawkins, who was a sixth-round pick, pick 209. I mean, Cinderella's story, that may be great, but welcome to week one in the NFL against a very deep, very experienced Dallas wide receiver unit. Oh, yeah, in primetime. You've got Michael Gallup and the Dallas debut of Brandon Cooks, who, oh, oh by the way, has had six seasons with over 1,000 receiving yards. Plus... C.D. Lamb torched the Giants last year. Week 3, 87 yards and a touchdown. Week 12, 106 yards. But maybe this isn't a terrible thing because Lamb led the league in slot targets last season. And Adoree Jackson will be there to defend the slot this season. So I guess that's better news. I think the only way the Giants have a chance to contain this Cowboys offense is to get after the quarterback relentlessly. Thibodeau, Ojolari, Simmons, bash him from the outside. 
Williams and Lawrence, most notably from the inside. Like, show off that contract, Dexter Lawrence, will you? Dak Prescott cannot have any daylight to get his eyes and the ball downfield. And I was looking to go to this, this game. But, as it happens, I don't know if I'm going to go. Because it's going to pour thunder, lightning. I, I mean, I checked it before I started my show, so that wasn't that long ago. So, you know, that, that to me signifies it's going to be more of a ground and pound game. So which team has the better ground game? Versus which team has the better defense against it? Uh, I think the Giants have the better ground game, honestly. And the better defense against it. But I don't know. Probably the biggest thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on all season. Wide receiver one, tight end one, Darren Waller and his ability. Because as they say, the best ability is availability. And he's playing. He is playing on Sunday Night Football. We shall see how effective he will be. And with that said, the Cowboys secondary is pretty good. Holds quarterbacks to just a rating in the mid-70s on average. So, again, this game is going to be one on the ground for the Giants if Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones can negate the pass rush or just the rush of game destroyer Micah Parsons. Who's coming off of a first-team All-Pro season last year? 13 and a half sacks. So, however the Giants, uh, you know, they're relying on mostly the same offensive line as last year, which resulted in Daniel Jones getting bagged 49 times, tied for fifth most out of all quarterbacks in the, in the, in the league last season. So, listen, I, I'm, I'm an unbiased sports talk radio host. Do the Giants have an, a window to win the game? Of course they do. The Cowboys are not unbeatable. And the Giants are also three-and-a-half-point home underdogs, the last I checked. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm going Dallas Cowboys 27, New York Giants 20. And I hope I'm wrong. I do. But I think this Dallas team is, is a little bit more talented Just a smidge more talented offensively. And although, I mean, the advantage for coach goes, of course, to the Giants and Dayball. 877-337-6666. My right, my off base. Let me know. Call Nick up. We go to Douglas in the Bronx. What's going on, Douglas? Good evening, Danielle. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. (laughs) Er Earlier this hour. You were rattling off a list of injuries. Are you sure you were talking about Giants tight end Darren Waller or Yankees pitcher Carlos Rodon? You know what? It could have been a toss-up. I don't know. It could have been either one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy, what a history, right? I know. So, um, yeah. But uh, so earlier today, the Twitterverse went wild, especially in the Giants world, that the Bengals and their wide receiver, T. Higgins, Mm -hmm. they couldn't come to an agreement on a contract extension. Mm -hmm. So why were Giants fans excited? Oh, there's rumors that there could be a trade in the offense. Would uh, T. Higgins interest you on the Giants uh, wide receiving crew? Yeah, he would, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see the Uh, deal, of course, but him as a player, absolutely yes. Yeah, okay. Speaking of another, uh, well, a former 
Giants wide receiver. Uh, we had a case of Schadenfreude on Thursday night. Darius Tony, oh. uh, not exactly the replacement of Kelsey. Oh. <laughs> the only thing, the only drop I agreed with, he occurred that night with his Twitter account because that was the uh, uh, you you have to expect a vast amount of ire and. Uh, Did he deactivate uh, his account? Honor. Yep, he dropped it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Douglas, I, I know you've been listening a long time. You've been calling a long time. Was I not right about Kadarius Tony? Yes, yes, yes. Of course, that's right. I mean, he's persona non grata already, and um, he rode the Kansas City bus last year. Yeah, he didn't drive it. He did not drive it. But on Thursday, he had the chance to drive it. And look, yeah, and uh, you can all that night. Uh, I had to hear Chris Collinsworth wax poetic and be almost romantic on Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Mahomes hit through a pick six. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, he wasn't exactly uh, uh, lights out uh, that night. So, uh, hey, happy for Lions. Hey, God, that was a tremendous game on Thursday night. Uh, so, anyways, that, that's it. You know that. what, though, Douglas? I, I have got my butt kicked at school by, by all of everything that goes on into the first week of school. That night, I didn't watch a single down of that game. I was in my bed at 842, lights out. Ah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, being a teacher, yes, you got to wake up early. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, that's my uh, two-minute recap for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Yes. Great game, nonetheless. I did that's see a highlight enough. reel on Twitter of every drop of Katarius Tony. I did see that when I woke up in the morning. Oh, there, there's plenty, plenty to go around. Speaking of TV, uh, I want to get your take on, now that we've seen the full season of Hard Knocks, yeah. uh, your take on the season as a whole. Kind of so-so for me uh, overall. Because um, I keep th- I kept thinking of the storylines they failed not to mention. Yep. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll add one further. And I, I have told you that maybe they could delve in even further of why Rogers is here. I mean, be more explicit. Uh, yes, we got a talented, a talented personnel, uh, but uh, uh, maybe uh, I wanted more of uh, why he's in New York. I mean, but how about the fact Dalvin Cook arrived during the preseason, during the filming of Hard Knocks. Yeah, yeah. He was on a team that was Many years, a rival to Rogers' original team. Mm-hmm. So there was no bad blood between them. Uh, could we have, like, you know, if this was the office, these two would have, like, a funny uh, reunion, like, hey, uh, uh, the thing I said to you back in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, we couldn't see that. We only saw, like, a 30-second flip. Uh, anyway, but... Um, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Douglas, uh, I, I, I'm lukewarm on, on, on... Thanks for the call. I appreciate that, as always. I, I'm lukewarm on the hard knocks. It was the Aaron Rodgers show. Let's just rename it the Aaron Rodgers show. Um, that's, I mean, that's it. It's just there were so many other storylines they could have could have explored and, and obviously chose not to. You said a one good one right then and there, right? I also would love to have seen Mekhi Becton and what he's trying to do to get back into the good graces with this team. I've been beating the drum. Nothing. There's just nothing. It was just the Aaron Rodgers show and the Broadway show, basically, is what it was. Eh, just really eh. I cannot believe I paid to see that. Like, I paid to register to be able to watch that, to, to be able to talk about that, and I can't believe I just wasted my money. But the Kadarius Tony thing, you know, I didn't watch a single down of that game. I, I I tell the truth there. And I woke up the next morning, I saw Tony was trending, and I was like, ooh, let me click on this. That somebody made a highlight reel of every single drop that he had. It was a long one. 
<laughs> uh, but uh, I posted on Twitter, too. I, I said, uh, me on May 1st, 2021, raising the red flags on Kadarius Tony on the fan. And I have a, a guy doing a, a raising vigorously a red flag and waving it, waving it. And some guy's trying to pick a fight with me. He was like, well, took two years for a prediction to come true. Good call. Like, no, man, two years for yet another reminder. He proves it every weekend. You know? I mean, it's always something different with him. And it started with, if you remember correctly, he had a problem with his cleats in training camp. He had a problem with his cleats. He couldn't practice. Then the next weekend, it was his grandmother was sick. And then the next weekend, it was something else. And it was just something else all the time with him. Which goes back to what I said that first weekend I was on after he was drafted in 2021. Remember what I said? I was in this studio, actually, in this chair. I said, I question Kadarius Tony's um, commitment to play football at the highest level. I question his commitment because he had that rap career going on. I know Dable, right, tried to play his rap songs at, at practice and you know, all that to, to get him to be feel part of the team. I understand all that, but I questioned it from the beginning. Did the guy actually care to be a football player? I know he got a Super Bowl ring. That is the in, great injustice of the NFL. A guy like Kadarius Toney uh, earns a Super Bowl ring, whereas, you know, guys like who like, uh, I don't even know. I, I a guy like uh, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl, and yet Kadarius Tony does. I, like that's the great injustice in the league. And I think the league is going to have to start looking into Patrick Mahomes and the things he does on the field. I know there's gamesmanship, and I know there's a, a line right, right, wrong, and gamesmanship. But these fake slides, like the quarterback slide, is designed to tell the defense, hey, I'm giving myself up, up, like, don't level me. I'm giving myself up. But when you see a quarterback, especially Patrick Mahomes, if who, if you breathe on him too hard, it's a penalty. If you're a defender. Patrick Mahomes doing this, this fake pull-up slide, and he pulls up and keeps going. That shouldn't be allowed. Illegal procedure, something, I don't know what to call it. But you can't fake slide, pull up, and keep. tell the whole defense you're giving yourself up, then pull up and keep going. It's not fair. Because it's gray. It's a gray area. It's not black and white, it's gray. So what if a defender comes in and hits him in that scenario? Then would it be a penalty? How can you determine that he was going to get up and continue running? You know what I mean? That's It's gray. And the other thing which we saw in the preseason was the jump throw out of bounds. It was it was called a penalty on the defender for for uh, you know hitting him out of bounds but if he's in the act of throwing the ball in the air going out of bounds I think it's fair game. So I, I think this is something we're going to have to look at. There was also a very blatant, this is me on Twitter at 6.30 in the morning, the next morning, of course, there was a very blatant non-call on a false start on the Chiefs. I mean, here, like, here comes the favoritism. Here we go. 
and they still lost. So where did that get you? But, yeah, there's some things, and I'll say it now, and I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the season, that need to be addressed, like, soon. One being the, the fake slide, the pull-up, and not just of Mahomes. He's just the only one I've seen do it so far. I mean, if Daniel Jones did it, if Aaron Rodgers did it, I'd say the same thing. It's not fair. It's not clear-cut. So maybe we call it the Mahomes rule. Can't fake slide and pull up. And the other one is, if the quarterback is making a football play, throwing the ball as they are headed out of bounds, like suspended in the air like Mahomes was, that should be a, a legal play if you hit him, if you're the defender. I don't know. Just my two cents. Give me yours. 877-337-6666. To my left, my left-hand man, Dexter Henry. has got an update for you. I'm back with you right on the other side of his update. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Although things are going to change next year, we're going to move across the street. There are a few things with the New York Yankees that never change. That's pride. It's tradition. And most of all, we have the greatest fans in the world. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Again, my name is Danielle McCartan, hanging with you for one more hour. Tommy Lugauer will come your way, coming at 3 a.m. Uh, yeah, the, the Giants, I posted, I, listen, I hold myself accountable here. I posted it. I, I hope I'm wrong. I'm going Cowboys 27, Giants 20. And uh, again, on, on all my posts across all my social media, at Coach MCCARTAN, I write, no criticism allowed unless you post your own scores here, too. And I've got Francisco weighing in on Twitter. He said, same score, but a miracle win for the Giants instead. And Michael Lingeri says, Giants 23, Cowboys 21. Um, hmm. Michael on Facebook says, Dallas 23, Giants 16. Yeah, so there's a, there's a big range here of, of different score predictions for this Giants-Cowboys game. And, you know, I, I learned a long time ago, you should never really pick on um, – on night games, like Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, those are always have a chance to go haywire. So I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Um, I hope the Giants pull up the, this upset victory and because it, it, it only makes things better around here. Victory Monday for Jets and Giants would be wonderful. Um, but you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not willing to put some put any shekels on that for the Giants. The Jets, yes. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Of course, you already know that. It's already pre-programmed. We go out to Merrick. Mike, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle. What's going on? I want to talk to you about the Giants for tomorrow. Let's do it. Giants going to get a big W. Yeah? A big, a big W coming on. You got a Final score prediction, Mike? 49 to nothing. <laughs> 49 nothing, huh? Blowout. Embarrassed starting. Wow. We hate that. Wow, Mike, I wish I was as optimistic as you. We hate the Cowboys. <laughs> well, but, that, yes. But then, you know, we have to wait until the Eagles lose and Washington to lose. Then we take first place after the big win. 
Well, 49 nothing. I mean, I mean, just hand the Giants the first place as, as it is there, Mike. And you look at the Eagles and the Patriots, I don't think the Eagles are going to lose to the Patriots. Although, you know, I think, we, I think we get that game on TV, actually. I think we might be able to watch that game live. Then you've got uh, the, the Cardinals and the Commanders. Listen, if you're in a survivor pool, your best bet, on you know, it is to pick against the Cardinals. Like there, every year, there's that team that you pick against. It's it's against the Cardinals. So I don't think the Commanders are going to lose to the Cardinals. Um, but hey, I could be wrong. I I, I hope I'm wrong. You know, in those kind of scenarios. And uh, we've got back to school night this upcoming week. A bunch of things going on at school, and uh, I'm back. We're back. And if you don't already know, uh, if you're new to the show, new listener, I actually, uh, I'm a full-time teacher during the week. And uh, I, I teach Italian. And usually, usually, my school is just really very strict with the teacher dress code. So when these spirit days come up, you know, it's it's those are days where you can wear jeans and sneakers as long as you participate. Like, I am all over them. First of all, I have flat feet. So to wear heels, forget about it for eight hours a day and stand eight hours a day, forget it. So even wedges for that long, forget it. So it's 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 a struggle for me. So anytime I get to wear sneakers with my like orthotics in them, it's a beautiful day. So whatever the theme is, I'm all in. 90s day we have, we have polka dot day, tie dye. Like I will go on Amazon and buy myself a polka dot shirt just so I can wear sneakers that day. Like, you think I'm joking. I am not. So I say all that to say this. The third day of school for the students, fifth for us, Friday was football Friday. And nothing makes me happier than sports theme days at school. Luckily, my principal and the vice principal, they are very much into sports. Although my principal's an Eagles fan. I know. He he already has yelled, go birds, a few times. To the kids in the in the in the cafeteria, and some he 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 did get booed. One kid did give him a thumbs down, but there are more Eagles jerseys popping up in our school. It's become an epidemic. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> oh man, sure someone's gonna cut up that audio and send it to him. <laughs> but uh, you know, nothing makes me happier than sports ones. We've got an NHL opening day one coming up. NBA opening day, oh, like it's right in my alley, up my alley, I should say, for obvious reasons. And it's also, too, like a vehicle to, you know, kind of get to know the kids better, too, because it's just the sports to me are just so relatable, right? You see a kid walking in your room with a Yankee T-shirt on, and you're like, oh, you know, what, Aaron Judge, cool. Like you ever, and then the whole conversation gets sparked right in your doorway, you know, like. I don't know. So uh, anyway, I like those days. And uh, the, the night before, I pick my clothes out all the time. The night before I do anything, I pick my clothes out. Like even for the show tonight, this, what I'm wearing, was hanging up last night. Friday night. And, you know, because in the mornings, like you might as well play the symphony music in the mornings. I'm like brushing my teeth with one hand, opening the refrigerator with the other hand, turning the lights off with the other hand. And it's like, I need 10 hands in the morning to get it all done. Cause I set my alarm for the latest possible time that I could still get to school on time and do all the things, feed the dog, pull up the shades, everything. Right. You know, you know how it is in the morning, eat the yogurt in the car on the way to school. 
I push it to the max. I like sleep. What can I say? You know? Plus, I'm resetting my circadian rhythm every weekend here, which is fine. But that that's my point. So I like to sleep. I like to push it to the max. So I picked out for Football Friday a green Sauce Gardener t-shirt sent to me by a very loyal listener. And I liked it so much that I actually bought one for my school, the same exact one, for my school BFF. Her name is Lexi for her birthday. It was Her birthday was in December. We went to the Jet game the day before her birthday. And, you know, it's she was new. It was her first year. And never mentioned her birthday was the next day. <laughs> like, what? But anyway, so I felt like a, a jerk, you know? Like, what do you mean? The next day I was wishing her a happy birthday. And I'm like, I was with you six hours ago. You didn't say anything. Anyway, so I bought her a T-shirt. It had took time to come in, but I, I bought her the same exact one. Okay. 6.30 a.m. Friday morning, I sent her a reminder text. I, like I told you, I was excited about this spirit day. I sent a few reminder texts, and she got one of them. And she told me that she had the same exact shirt picked out. So because I push it to the last possible minute in the mornings, I was not going to find another shirt to wear. So... I had other options, but I wasn't going to start digging to find them. I had my outfit out. That's what I was going with. So an hour later, 7.45, over a little over an hour later, 7.45, we took a picture in her office, which I posted to social media, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And we spent the day matching. Great minds think alike. I don't know what to tell you. Speaking of. I'm trying to get to a Giants game home at least one and a Jets game home at least one. And I don't have a lot of Jet fan friends. Giant fan friends, I got a lot of them. That I'm working out. But Jet fan friends, she's like the only one. And I've been on her. I was like, come on, pick a, pick a game. Can you pick a game? I want to go before the Jets get really good and the prices keep going up. So what I did was, I think it was Tuesday, I printed out from the internet. You know those old people commercials that are like, you printed out from the internet, you're becoming your parents. But I printed out from the internet the Jets schedule, and I handed it to her. And she was like, oh, my God, I need this. Thank you. And I was like, I know. I figured that out. So I put on a little post-it, and I crossed out the days I can't go to. And um, let's see. (laughs) Let's see. It's on her desk. So let's see if... She picks. I, it's on, it was on her desk Friday morning. She was like, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. I'm like, oh, come on. Uh, so like, uh, I don't know. Let's see if she picks out a game or two by the next time I talk with you. Next Saturday night. This time, next Saturday night. Next weekend. Right here on The Fan. Because me, whenever I get an idea, it needs to be executed right then and there. Like yesterday. Like I have an idea. Something pops into my mind. It has to be executed yesterday. Lexi, well, let's just say she likes to take her time in making decisions. And it is extremely frustrating for me. But uh, anyway, we'll see. Maybe by this time next week I've got, uh, or I can have a game or two picked out. And uh, I'd love to meet you at them. But high on the list is the Falcons game for me. And what was the other one? The Falcons and the the week after that, December 3rd and December 10th. Of the Texans. Fal- Falcons and Texans. Those are kind of like my top two for the Jets. For the Giants, I picked out the Patriot game and whatever the other 1 o'clock game was. These primetime games are killing me, man. 
killing me. 877-337-6666. Danny wants to chime in in Seaford. What's up, Danny? Hey, how are we? Uh, speaking of the Giants and the primetime games, I agree with you. Uh, you know, it, it is way too much this year, and uh, I, I prefer that the Giants play every game at 1 o'clock. Me, so t- I'm with you, Danielle. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to, like, DVR the second half of these games and, like, get up even earlier in the morning to watch them. I don't even know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah, you know, I mean, your, your situation's a little bit different than, uh, you know, mine or I guess most Giant fans, but, uh, you know, I was going to tell you to stay up regardless, but I understand uh, you got other priorities. I get it. I get it. Um, so I'm going to see them on the road. I always try to see one home game and one road game. And, me too. Uh, Which they, one, Danny? Tell me. So uh, I'm going to Vegas. Me too. So that's why I'm calling, and uh, we should totally uh, meet up if you're uh, – Willing and able. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Kansas City uh, was the best stadium I saw them thus far, and uh-huh. uh, I have high, high expectations for this trip. All right, so let me tell you. I did a tour of Allegiant Stadium, first off. Just a regular old tour. It is like a freaking palace. I mean, there's sparkles in the floor granite. I mean, you're going to love it. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, by any chance, are you doing the Giants Travel Agency? I'm not. I actually did everything uh, on our own. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, 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 I'm flying out Saturday. I'm coming back Monday. It's going to be a quick uh, hit and run. But, uh, you know, I'm really, really excited about it. I think I'm not sure. I forget. I think we're flying out Saturday, too. I th- I'm not sure if we're doing after school Friday night or sat- first thing Saturday morning. But we're also coming back on Monday. So it might see you on the plane. That'd be great. It's That'd me and my great. dad. I- me and my dad are going. I'm going with my father as well. Oh, that's cool. Uh, this, this is a trip that he was looking to do. Um, you know, I took him to see, well, he actually took me a few years back to go see the Giants uh, in, in Heinz Field a few years ago, uh-huh. maybe uh, eight, 10 years ago, and that was great. And uh, this is going to be 10 times better. Uh, do you have seats yet, Danny? We do. We actually do. Where are you? Uh, we're we're, we're uh, second row in on, on the 30-yard line. In the 100s? Uh, again, the 100. Yep. Do you know the section number? I if you put me on hold or uh, get back to me, email I, me. I you know what, Danny? Because yeah. I think we're we're actually I think we're going to be sitting near each other too. I don't know which 30 we're on or which 20. It's um you know Misha Tate, the fighter, the UFC fighter. Yeah. Oh, of course I die. They're I her tickets. Up, we're by. Yeah. We're yeah we're by, we bought her tickets, so we're going to sit that's, in her seats. That's unbelievable. That's. I'm that's, trying to get her to come. We'll see. I'm a big fan of hers. I can't believe I'd be uh, talking about Misha Cupcake at uh, 2.15 in the morning on my own. But, uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. All right. That's awesome. Well, Danny, do me a favor. Do, are, are you following me on social media? Can you email me? Because I, I would love to meet you out there in Vegas. Make I, it happen. I would love that, too. I, I could definitely email you. All right, um, cool. I, I would love to make this happen, all right? Yes. I'm, I'm on board, Danny. Let's do it. All right. I appreciate your time, and uh, let's go Giants. Yeah, let's go Giants. As I sit here, thanks for the call there, Danny. As I sit here... An authentic Lawrence Taylor jersey from 1986 jersey. My dad's like, that's an awesome jersey. I feel like I need to buy him one of these to go. Should I, Nick? Should I make it like an early Christmas present? Yeah, you definitely should. That would be a great gift. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That means I can't wear this one then. I hate when people match wearing jerseys to games. It bugs me. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. What's wrong with it? You're matching your dad I don't know. Same jerseys. I feel like I should go with like it's an It's kind of cool. Is it cool? I think so. Matching jerseys? I think it's lame. <laughs> it depends, but. I don't know. 
I, I don't see anything wrong with it. Get him an early Christmas present and say, like, hey. Because the game's in, like, November or, like, 8th or something. Yeah, I think he'll really like that. I know, because when I, when I showed him well, this. I think he, he's listening right now, so. <laughs> he, might, yeah, he might be, actually. Actually, forget about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he might be listening right now. I don't know, but uh, maybe. Yeah, he he saw this, and he was like, what? you?" Because he, he loves, his favorite player was Lawrence Taylor, by far. And he actually bequeathed to me, he gave to me his old, like the old school, like T-shirt. Like it had, it says Giants on the front. It's from, it's older than me, this shirt. And he gave it to me. So I feel like I owe him back a Lawrence yeah. Taylor jersey. Yeah, you definitely should get it. Uh, I don't see a problem with you both wearing it. All mm. right, let me go on that. <laughs> that old website, I don't want to give away the company, but that has all the old jerseys. Maybe I'll, Maybe I'll do it. Just do it. Just do it. I'm just a fantastic daughter. You know, I'm taking them both out to dinner tomorrow night, too. Wow. Yeah. That's better than what I did, honestly. My <laughs> my dad's birthday is this Wednesday, and I just went out to dinner with him, and his gift was that he, he paid the bill. <laughs> oh, come on, Nick. You work hard. Yeah, work hard, but don't make that much. <laughs> oh, come on. You just I didn't tell you where I'm going. I'm going to the Wendy's Dollar drive through menu. That's where I'm taking him to dinner. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah, no. yeah, I know you do much better than that. <laughs> uh, hosting money is way more. Oh, yeah, way more. <laughs> we're going to the Outback, and my mom has a free Bloomin' Onion coupon, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to the Outback tomorrow. Still pretty good. I can't wait. <laughs> I haven't been there in a while. I, I love that place. I know, me too. The Bloomin' Onion, I can eat the whole thing. Yeah, me yeah, too, exactly. unfortunately. I know, unfortunately, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, so coming up next, Nick is ready to go. Uh, in the next installment of Danielle's WFAN Book Club, I'm throwing it back to the summer of 69. That's right. Ed Cranepool, 1969 World Series champion, New York Met, joins me next right here on The Fan. Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. Got my first real six string Bought it at the five and done Played it till my fingers bled Was the summer of 69 Me and some guys from school Had a band and we tried real hard Jimmy quit, Jody got married Should've known we'd never get far Ed Cranepool, a 1969 World Series champion with the New York Mets, the Miracle Mets, a lifetime New York Met, and now the author of The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets, joins us on the fan. So, Mr. Cranepool, why was it important for you to write this book now, at this point? Well, at this stage in my career, uh, everyone that was associated with the Met organization back in the 60s is gone. Ralph Kiner was the last participant, and he passed away a few years ago. So I said, I'm the only one that can talk about players from 62 and had uh, was able to play with them. So I figured that this is a good time for it. Yeah, you know, I, I read every single letter, every single word. So let's, let's dive through it a little bit. Um, you know, it was a whirlwind start to your lengthy 18-year career with the Mets. You graduated high school. On the same day, you negotiated and signed a contract with the Mets. 48 hours later, you're on your first plane ride to Dodger Stadium. Can you just describe what that was like for us? 
Well, for me, it was a lot of excitement because I had never been out of the Bronx uh, on a plane and never traveled uh, across the country. So uh, I was excited to jump on the plane, go to California. Little did I know the traveling secretary would pick me up, take me to the ballpark. And the opening night, Koufax pitches a no-hitter and strikes out 13. And I said, this is going to be a long, tough career. And I was right. And so was Casey. This is going to be tough, he said. You wrote about Gil Hodges and his influence on you as a young player. Um, who would you say was your biggest influence as a young man? Was it Hodges? Well, it had to be because he was the first one that met me at the ballpark and he taught me how to play first base and taught me the fundamentals of the game. So I was very fortunate to have one of the best uh, at it, able to do it. And uh, we worked hard. And then uh, he became the manager of the Washington Senate as he left the Mets. So I lost my protege. But uh, the thing is, I knew enough about first base by then that I was able to use it fundamentally. So I was able to go on the field by myself. And then we acquired him in a trade in 1968. I was there still after seven years of losing 100 games. And he took over and um, he was our manager and he's a tough manager. No question about it. But we were all able to play under the same set of rules. Most managers change rules for different players. He had one set of rules for 25 players. And I like that. And, on, you know, on page 134, I took a note. Um, you wrote, um, I knew I would have been a better player had they kept me in the minors for a few years right from the start. I would have been a better player because I wouldn't have exposed myself to the fans of New York right away. So even still today, I feel that that's still, you know, prevalent. So what was it or what is it about the New York fans that make it so tough to play here? Well, the fans are not tough. It's just a matter of you being able to perform. They expected a lot from myself. They wanted me to lead them to the pennant. And one player doesn't do that. You learn that with experience that you need a team around you to surround yourself with. You get better pitches to hit. You have better selection on your own part so you can do better. I improved uh, under the circumstances, but not enough, you know, for the fans to accept me as the superstar. I mean, I hit 260, 270 against Koufax and Drysdale at 17, 18 years old. That wasn't good enough. You know, they expected me to hit over 300. Ball club built me up for that. And I didn't perform when I was in the early 20s. Finally, late in my 20s, I did hit 300, 323. I hit 292. I started to really catch up with the league and uh, had some good years. But by that time, people thought you were ancient. You were around a long time. You know, you should have been better long before that, and, and they got frustrated. But meanwhile, I kept chugging along and led the league in pinch hitting five years in a row, hit over 400, set an all-time record as a pinch hitter. But that's not fun. You want to play every day. I didn't stay around long enough for the uh, uh, the new rules that came in, and I could have been the designated hitter and got four at-bats, and it would have been a lot better. We're talking with Ed Crapel, lifetime New York match, joining us on the fan. Um, what qualities does a player need to have to play in New York, just in general? Well, you just have to perform consistently. And if they expect you to be a star, you've got to be a star every day. They don't accept failure. They're very difficult on you. We had guys like the signmen and nothing better to do but make up signs negative about the players. And that's that affects you when there's 50,000 people in the fan in the stands. And they got a guy standing, a jackass standing up and, you know, holding a sign that's negative. So the fans start reacting. And, of course, it makes it difficult to play when you're still young. And by the time we won a pennant 
In 69, I was only 25. We won again five years later in 73. I was only 30. But people thought you had been there so long, and you had been. But, uh, you know, it's very frustrating. Uh, to me, it seems like in the beginning you, you chose the Mets over the White Sox and even the Yankees, a kid from the Bronx, because you felt you had the best opportunity to make the roster with the Mets. Looking back years and years later, was it the right choice? Well, I don't know whether it was the right choice. It was my home. New York was my home. The Yankees were my favorite team back growing up. But I thought the opportunity to play in the major leagues was worth it. And I took it. Little did I know I was going to be in the major leagues in two days. That's a little tough for a 17-year-old. Most guys, if you look around the league now, are going to college and playing four years after college. You know, and then they get an opportunity. I got it real young, got thrown into the fire. I was the one player that was there from the beginning, and it was very difficult for myself to accept playing against these guys. Remember, you have to learn against the best. These are all Hall of Famers I was facing. Sandy Koufax, Drysdale, Bob Gibson, Juan Marichal, Gaylord Perry, Steve Carlton. Every one of them in 62 was a Hall of Famer, you know, and they were going to be. So it was very difficult, but I had to make the adjustment. I stayed 18 years, which was a long time, and I could have played longer, but I chose. When the Mets went down to the bottom again, this was not fun anymore. It wasn't fun in the beginning. It wasn't fun at the end, so I retired. Ed Cranepool, 1969 World Series champion with the New York Mets, joins us on the fan. Uh, and I love the line you wrote uh, one, on page 118. It said, in a season of miracles, the inches were with us. Fast forward to 1969 now. Of all the miracles in that season and in that World Series, the AG catches, the Swoboda catch, the miracle. Which miracle do you think? was the most, I guess, unbelievable throughout that season or in the World Series? Well, I think just getting there was a miracle. You know, we were in last place halfway through the season. We got hot. We got the 500. And after that, it was all downhill for the rest of the league. We beat every ball club we had to coming, coming into the pennant race. And we beat Chicago every time we played them. So they were the ones that were tired at the end. We were strong and fresh and able to play. What did winning the World Series in 1969 prove to New Yorkers? Well, it proved that young players could play together and, and, and win. And they still talk about it. 60 years after the fact, everyone was at the ballpark. Everyone grabbed some grass. Everyone had a good time. And it's probably the one World Series that stands out. You know, maybe the 29 Yankees do. With Babe Ruth, obviously, a great team. But if you ask anybody else, name a World Series, they'll they'll tell you 69. They were all there. The stadium only held 54,000, but I think it seems like millions were there. How cathartic was it for you? You you talked about the losing already, but how cathartic was it for you personally to win after all of that losing for all of those years? Well, it's something you'll never forget. Once you play um, baseball, when you play it for a living professionally, winning's the most important thing, and getting into a World Series was tremendous. We fell back a little bit after we lost Gil Hodges and replaced him with Yogi Berra. We win the pennant in 73 if Yogi's not the manager. He doesn't pitch Tom Seaver short-rested in the sixth game. I've said that all along. We should have pitched George Stone, who was 12-3, and three, pitched great for us. We pitch him on Saturday. We don't have to win that game. Yogi couldn't figure that out. He thought we did. And we had a pitch receiver short rested. We should have saved him for Sunday. If we lose on Saturday, George Stone loses. He had won seven straight. 
There's no telling what would have happened. We probably would have won the pennant on Saturday and gone home. Instead, we got to stay around, play again Sunday. We're dejected. We've lost our ace, and we come back second-rated, and, and Matt like didn't have it that day, and we lose. We should have won the pennant in 73. Was there ever a conversation between Seaver and Barra? And Seaver said, hey, hey, Yogi, I've never pitched on short rest. Have you ever asked a superstar pitcher whether they want to take the ball? Yeah. They're not going to say no. Nobody's yeah. ever going to say no that they don't want the ball. Seaver was tired. He talked to the players about it. We all knew he was tired. Once he took the ball on Saturday, he was giving it his best effort, and he pitched a good ball game. It wasn't good enough. A little bit extra rest might have been the difference on Sunday if he, he went out on Sunday. We're not saying he wasn't a good choice. He wasn't our best choice. We didn't have to make that choice. The Oakland A's had to make a choice. How do they win on Saturday before they go home? We didn't have to. We could have stayed out there all day Saturday. And if we lose, we lose. We come back Sunday with Tom Seaver, the best pitcher in baseball. In 1969, too, you hit the home run in game three. As you're circling the bases, it was it was home, right? What images were flashing through your mind as you're running around the bases over there? I, I think your whole career flashes in, in front of you because, you know, this is the one thing you've been trying to get to, the one area you're trying to play in. Now you're in it. You do well. You hit a home run. And you know what? You don't need the manager at that point to shake your hand or pat you on the back. You're sky high now anyway. You're ready to play. Did you did you touch the bases as you went around? Did you feel the ground? I don't know. I, I don't know. You don't remember, but I'm sure you did. You touched yeah. them. Everyone's watching you. You're having a good time. And it was great. And, of course, people never forget. And then when you walk around New York, you're an icon in New York. They still remember 69. It was a great feeling. I know you had some fun at Caesars Palace out in Vegas, some TV show appearances. What was the coolest thing you did in that offseason after the 1969 World Series? Well, we did a lot of crazy things. We did Ed Sullivan. We did Las Vegas. Las Vegas was fun. I mean, we thought we were entertainers. We thought we were highlighters. We were up on the market in Caesar's Palace, and we performed up there. We were the second leading drawer. It was a lot of fun, but we didn't stay around. When they asked us to repeat and come back for another couple of weeks, we didn't do it. We knew we weren't uh, entertainers. <laughs> um, yeah, there's something that struck me because I'm a, I'm a numbers person. You said you pointed to the record in one run games. Why is a team's record in one run games the best indicator of how good a team is? Well, you got to be good defensively to be in those close games. You're always playing well defensively. If you're in the ball game because of our pitching. So if we're staying close, we got a chance of winning those. So when you're in the one run games. You know, it's something that, uh, you know, something you'll be proud of. You're in the games. One run or home run or something ties it up and puts you ahead. You know, you can win. So that's what you want. You don't want to get killed by five runs. So you're, ne that's a, you're never going to be close at that point. Ed Cranepool, the author of The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets, joins us on the fan. How did you – a tone, a theme that I got from your writing was – this theme of, you know, overcoming adversity, of being bench, pinch hitting, playing every day. Um, what was it like to overcome that? Well, it was difficult. Most people want to play every day. Everyone that goes on the field expects to play and wants to play. Gil Hodges had to convince 25 players on the ball club. We had basically the same guys all year. It was in the best interest of the ball club to platoon. And he did that the whole year, good or bad or whatever. 
he didn't know, he didn't change. So we knew what was going to happen in the playoffs in 69. You know, we beat the, the Atlanta Braves. The left-handers did very well. We scored a lot of runs. The pitching was terrible for us. They didn't do well. Atlanta scored a lot of runs. And comes the World Series, the lefties don't even play because after we beat Atlanta, we all sit down. He was returning, and he played the right-handers. And we struggled the first two games. Didn't score any runs. The most runs we scored was the third game. The left-handed hitters went back into the lineup after sitting for two days and beat Jim Palmer and the Baltimore Orioles seven to nothing. That wasn't a close game anymore. It's not a one-run game. The other games, the righties went back in and they struggled all the time. You wrote on page 70, you were sick of the losing, sick of the culture of losing, sick of watching some of the guys accepting it. Uh, what does that look like at home? I know, I know what it looks like in the clubhouse. What does it look like at home? Well, you know, you don't want to talk about baseball anymore. You've had enough of it, especially when you see guys getting long-term contracts, not performing, ball club playing poorly. That's a horrible thing to accept. And you know what? If you do it once, you don't want to do it twice. You know what it feels like, and it's a long day at the ballpark. Gil Hodges was your manager. You called him – I'm getting two things from him. You called him a baseball god that you wanted to please, and you also wrote, I knew Hodges didn't want me on the club. I felt like I was screwed and unwelcome at the same time. You even wrote that you even maybe wanted to quit. How could you describe or define your relationship with Gil Hodges? Well, because you have tough times with him. He's a tough manager. He didn't change his rules. You have to adjust to him. And until you do that, it's very difficult. I had tough times with Gil. Every player does. But he doesn't embarrass you in front of the, um, the press or anything like that. He keeps it in his front office. You go into his office, you sit down, and he tells you how you have to play. You either play his, his way or you hit the highway. I stayed around. I, 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 I chose to play his way and wanted to stay there. And when I came back through adversity, I, I did well for him, and I was playing every day, and then he passes on. So that was bad timing for myself to have Gil lose Gil, and now we lose our manager. And Yogi was a great guy. Personally, I dressed alongside of him for 10 years. I got along real well with him. But, you know, you have to make rules, and it has to be led – Somebody has to lead that, and, and, of course, it's usually the manager that's going to lead everything. You know, everyone knows what's going on in the manager's office. You had a lot to say about Joe Torre in your book and being in the New York market. Of course, it piqued my interest. Um, not a lot of nice things to say about Joe Torre. Um, and you kind of finished with uh, when the Mets parted ways with Joe Torre at the end of the year and proved he couldn't manage. I wondered what took them so long. So I guess my question is, how would you explain away the Yankees dynasty Torre years? Well, I, I would call it the Jeter and Mattingly and that whole group of guys that were over there. He took over a great ball club. And I think uh, Joe Palooka could have managed the Yankees during the, you know, the years that Joe had him. I mean, uh, he had some problems and, uh, I'd rather not talk about him. I mean, it's personal problems, but uh, he did a good job when he took over the Yankees, but it was a great ball club. And you guys haven't talked since? No, I, I think one time I said hello to him, but uh, that's after being his roommate and seeing him take over the manager's job. But, uh, you know, you don't have to be friends with everybody. Yeah, and um, I, I obviously, a Yankee tone here too. You said in the beginning, I really idolized Mantle. He was my favorite player by far. I imagined myself playing with Mantle as a teammate one day. In your career, as I looked, they did overlap by seven, really six years. Right, and I could have played with him. I, I played against him in spring training. We had a great time. I've gotten 
plenty of autographs from uh, Mickey Mantle. He was a great player and was my idol. I was a Yankee fan through and through, but obviously I converted to a Met fan and I moved to the Mets. I wish this year would have been turned out better for them. I wish they would have been competitive, but they weren't, and it's been a tough year. Like, did you ever try to maybe say, like, hey, you know what? I'm done with the losing. I'm going to go to the other New York team. Not really, because they've had some tough times also. You know, baseball is changes. Every year is a new year, and you just got to go out and play. After your your playing career, what? how were you hoping or looking or even expecting to stay involved in the team? Well, I, I was hoping when the Balco was ready to be sold, I was going to be part of a purchasing group at Bob Applenap. And unfortunately, uh, Mrs. Dearley, who was uh, Mrs. Payson's daughter, she chose to pick her own friends, uh, social people, and uh, they bought the ball club and they had it for all those years. There was no opportunity at that point. So just have to pass you by and just go on to something else. And uh, right now I'm just enjoying life, having a good time. I wrote a book. I hope people enjoy it. They go out. It was from, you know, my personal thoughts about my career after 18 years. And it uh, seems like people are liking it. They're reading it. So let's let's keep on uh, getting those people out there. Ed Cranepool, my last miracle, my 18-year journey with the Mays in New York Mets. And you seem very into the, the scouting and everything, too. How might the front office and how might the trajectory of the Mets been different had you been part of the front office? Well, when I retired, I, I I really wanted to go into the front office. I never wanted to manage a ball club. I didn't want to participate with the players. I didn't want to deal with them. I didn't mind dealing with them at contract time, and but now it would be all agents and stuff. Things are different. When I retired, I was ready to, to go into the front office and, and be productive to the ball club. I wish I would have had an opportunity. I think they would have had a better chance at winning some pennants. And that these are all stories that are in his in his brand new book. Um, we fast forward to two current day Mets questions I got for you. Go ahead. You're a homegrown first base. I know you played some outfield, but most of your games were at first base. Um, should the Mets keep or trade their homegrown first baseman, Pete Alonzo? I wouldn't trade Pete. He's the only offense the Mets have right now. He's a great hitter, very strong, and he's willing to play every day and he gets hurt. He still plays, so he's the guy I want on my ball club. Your number seven or twenty-one, even isn't yet retired by the Mets, which is crazy to me. Um, your thoughts on Doc and Daryl's numbers being retired? Well, they were outstanding players for the '86 Mets, and unfortunately, both of their careers were shortened because of drugs. And there's no telling how good either one of these boys would have been. And they're great players, good friends of mine. I wish them both well, and I'm I'm happy for them that they're going to get some recognition as the stars of the 86 Mets. And you next. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Thank you. And during the losing, the $100 fine for going to Disneyland, the craziness of changing batting positions all the time, the inconsistency in the playing time, dealing with managers you didn't see eye to eye with at all times, they, res they rescinded a contract to you by the time you got home. Mr. Cranepool, why were you so loyal to the New York Mets? Well, the only thing I wanted to do was play baseball. I wanted to play every day and do well for a ball club. New York was my home. I enjoyed playing here. I never wanted to leave and never did. And I played 18 years here. Why? Or what are you hoping that the reader takes away from The Last Miracle, my 18-year journey with the amazing New York Mets? Well, the, some of the miracles, you know, wasn't winning the World Series, but I also had two physical uh, problems in our family's life. Uh, myself, I had a new kidney put in. That's been working well the last four years. And my wife had pancreatic cancer. 
is a woman I'm married to for 40 some odd years and uh, she comes down sick and you can't do anything about it. But I was very fortunate to find a doctor in Miami. So these are things that are part of your life and never going to go away. So we just hope that we're both healthy and enjoy our life. And the Wilpons help with that. Yes, they did. Fred Wilpon was a gentleman. He solicited a doctor that I found in Miami and uh, we went down to see him and he was the one doctor that could perform the Whipple surgery on my wife and he saved her life. So I'm forever grateful to uh, Fred Wilpon. Mr. Crampool, once a met, always a met. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ed Cramples, The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets is available wherever books are sold. And a great question came in on Twitter during the interview, and thanks to Ed Crample for doing that with us and taking the time. Um, I, hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the trip down memory lane. But a good question came in during, during that interview on Twitter, and the question was, okay, I know you're picking the Cowboys, but how can the Giants win? How can the Giants win on Sunday Night Football? What do they have to do? Well, I've got thoughts on that, and then we'll close it out. You can give me a call. You tell me. How are the Giants going to win? 877-337-6666. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Larry Johnson and Morning are swinging on the baseline, and Morning right now is being held by Jeff Van Gundy. Van Gundy holding on to his foot, and this is amazing. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Welcome to The Fan. My name is Daniel McCarr, and welcome back to The Fan. Uh, a great question that came in as we wrap up here. Tommy Lugar is coming your way at the top of the 3 a.m. hour. Uh, question came in is like, all right, Danielle, I know you're picking the Cowboys to win. Listen, I don't want to pick the Cowboys. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, the question is, how can the Giants win this game? Okay, so how can the Giants win this game? Look at the forecast. That's the first thing you do. At kickoff is what, 820 or whatever? At 8 o'clock. In East Rutherford, New Jersey, there is a 77% chance of thunderstorms. The next hour, 65. 10 p.m., 62. 11 p.m., 60% of light rain. So it's going to be a sloppy, sloppy game, you know? Uh, this game isn't going to be won by the air, I don't think. In fact, it's going to be a ground game. And who would you rather have if you're if you're an offense? Would you rather have Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley over Dak and the running back? Yes, I would. Daniel Jones is a fantastic running quarterback. Saquon Barkley's got a lot to prove. So how can the Giants win if they absolutely decimate the Cowboys on the ground, which they can, and they did last year. Although they were, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't win a single. They, they were swept last year by the Cowboys. But I, the one thing is the Cowboys last year, or I guess in this draft, round one, Pick 26. They drafted a defensive lineman to just absolutely just clog up the middle of the field. You're going to hear the name. He's a rookie. Mazzy or Mazai Smith on the Cowboys defensive line. The guy is 337 pounds. He has one job, and that is to stop Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. That's it. Clog up the middle. The quote from this guy, he's like, I don't even like football. I like hitting people. So good luck. Yeah, good luck, Saquon, and, and good luck, Daniel Jones. 
337 pounds defensive tackle. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to be I'm being funny here. I, I'm trying to be funny, but I think that uh, if the Giants can establish a ground game and go to the air when need be, they've got a, they've got a good situation going. The Giants have the better kicker. Graham Gano is automatic. Whatever you ask him to do, he's like almost automatic. So if you can get into a situation where you know you're relying on on, on the ground game and, and Graham Gano, it be it would be favorable for the Giants. That would be a favorable game plan for the Giants because the Cowboys secondary, you know, limits opposing quarterbacks to ratings in the mid seventies on average last season. Not much has changed, et cetera, et cetera. So this is kind of playing right into the Giants' hands. Maybe I want to change my pick here. I don't know. But anyway, that, that's how I see the Giants potentially winning this game. 877-337-6666. Oh, yes, a quick update, by the way. Um, I did order my father the jersey. I did it. I bought it. See, I work just to buy things. <laughs> like this whole shift. What I made this whole shift is the Christmas present for him. But uh uh, he's going to like it. It's a it's a Lawrence Taylor blue jersey. I actually bought two with the intention of returning one. I don't know if he wants the spider patch on it or the, the Super Bowl patch. So I got one of each. He could choose, and I'll send the other one back. So I did it. And, I, and that means I'm not wearing this Lawrence Taylor jersey to Vegas like I was planning on doing. I'll have to figure it out. Maybe I'll wear an Eli jersey. I don't know. I don't like the matching. It's weird to match. All right, we go to uh, Ray in Waterbury, Connecticut. Looks like he might be the closer of the night. What's going on, Ray? How you doing, Dan? Great, uh, how are you? Good show as usual, and and a great interview with uh, with Eddie Cranepool. You know, I'm 74 years old, so I lived that era. I've been a Mets fan since 1963. Mm-hmm. So you know, he him and him and uh, Rusty Staub came up at the same time, mm-hmm. both playing for expansion teams. You know, and both uh, Rusty had a little better career. But at, at, at Cranepool was, you know, he was a pretty good ball player for all those years. You got to get the but, book. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know. Um, getting back to the Mets, what you said last week, uh, I got a few uh, people I want out of here next next year. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me mention what I was thinking about you tonight. When I was, Every time I watch uh, Beatty come up the plate. Yep. Shows no. I mean, he, I, you know what? He can't hit any. He can't hit lefties to save his life. Mm-hmm. He, he, he he's overmatched at the plate. He shows no fire, and he can't field. Yep. I mean, you're right. I would look to move him in a deal yep. this off season, and and maybe figure out who's going to play third. You know, maybe maybe Mauricio, maybe right. go outside. Yes, and, maybe, and maybe they should start as, putting him there now to figure that out. Don't you think? Yeah, you're right. Uh, he's Beatty's not the answer. No, I, I just don't. Uh, he shows no fire. He's like you, you. You never. You don't expect him to get a hit when he comes. Up. Uh, maybe, you know, right. He looks like he's the best athlete on the team. Yeah, I know. You know, and, and, and I want Buck out of here. Yep. And you know what? I can't take watching Jeremy Hefner anymore. You know, <laughs> standing next to Buck. Yep. You know, and then wandering all wandering out every time a bull a pitcher or a bullpen guy gets hit. Yeah, the two scowl and, masters and, and, in the dugout. Oh, and you know what? How much? How much do you got to see a Drew Smith? <laughs> I mean, yep. Oh my God! I you know. just know that home run's coming. I know. 
Every time you turn on the game, it's like, yeah, it's like Drew Smith and thanks for the call there, Ray. I'm kind of up against it. Thank you, though. Every time we turn on the Met game, late and late in the game, mid, you know, midway through the game, it's Drew Smith looking over the fence, watching another ball land into the seats. Yes, lots of changes we could talk about, Ray. We've got time to talk about the Mets uh, and the changes they should make, but I'm, I'm bored with you. Absolutely, definitely to start. And, and thanks for making the call there. And sorry, I was up against it. Um, but anyway, so thanks to all the callers. Could not have done it without you tonight. Love coming here and talking with you. And thanks for hanging with me over the past three and a half-ish hours. And if you missed any portion of tonight's show, hit the Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show, which was like 11.45-ish. Great job to Nick Theodoro, as always, behind the glass. To Dexter Henry on the updates. And I'm going to see you about the same time next week. After the Yankees game, though, next Saturday night. Again, though, until 3 a.m. In the meantime, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash Coach McCart. We'll keep the conversation going. Tommy Lugar up next here on The Fan. Go Jets! Go Giants! Sports Radio 101.